Steve, can you give us a bit of background about your company? When it started? How many how, how many of you are running the company? How many manpower do you have? Um, this is actually a family business. Okay. My father started the company 30 over years ago. Um, 1986, we became a private limited. Mm. Um, ever since then, uh, my dad, uh, my late dad, you know, he he actually uh, started it first and he got myself and my sister to take over the company. So now there's two two shareholders, myself and my sister. Uh, we are the uh, directors as well. And we are running the company. We have about, about 180 men. 118? 180 men. 180, 180, yes. okay. So, and uh, we have about uh, 60 oversights island-wide. Okay. We specialize always on industries. Like we don't do much condos, uh, a couple of hotels, the rest of it all industries, dormitories, factories, stuff like that. How's the competition in the security industry? Well, for a small country like ours, we have about 250 over security agencies. So it's very, very high competition. But it's okay because end of the day, I think our business is one where it runs a lot on trust. So once you have won the client's trust, they stay with us long term. So that means most of the clients are like, do you go by retainer clients and like contract clients, right? Yeah. Uh, most of the time, our clients, we, I mean, we have got clients who have been with us from my dad's time, like 20 over years, 30 over years. We have got clients who have been um, on a yearly contract, but renewing it regularly. Of course, we do lose some clients, most of the, uh, sometimes due to a price yeah, because as a contract area, we might have to increase a little bit and there will be some other company who's charging lesser. So from a business point of view, they have to make some decisions. So that also happens. But we have a lot of clients who actually left us and after a couple of years, they came back to us, mm. even though we charge higher okay. because they found that, you know, uh, one thing we always say in our company is that, you know, being in the security industry, there's no way you can uh, guarantee that nobody will make any mistake. The officers on ground. So what kind of mistakes do they make? Like common I mean, mistakes? Yeah, you know, they forget to change the past because we are usually talking about one-man show. It's a very challenging job for them. Okay. One-man show, he has to handle his uh, lunch timing. He has to handle his toilet breaks and so forth. And yet there will be people coming in to change past. There will be vehicles coming in to take down the vehicle numbers. Mm. Now with the temperature taking. So there's a lot of steps. So along the way, you know, like we in our office, sometimes we can take a breather we can just look at our phone and just and take uh, have a short break, but in this line it doesn't happen like that. Yeah. The moment you look at your phone, at that point in time, someone walks in and they will say that your officer was seen looking at the phone. Mm. He's not alert enough. Okay. And we're talking about one man, maximum two men. So at that point of time, when the officers are, if they're a little bit distracted with stuff that's happening at home, just imagine you come to work one day and your daughter or son. It's not mm. feeling well. Okay. So you your mind will still be there. You know, it's having high fever. So what's going to happen? Should I call and check and so forth? And you can't wait all the way until your lunch time or your tea break time to check. Mm. You can't just wipe up the phone. At that point in time, maybe they call, you pick up the phone, you're speaking, and someone is there to change pass. Uh, people are there to take temperature. Vehicles coming in. So it, it's a job that, you know, to many people, security officers are doing a very simple job. I've heard many people say that it's Jaga job. Mm. but the industry has changed a lot nowadays. I would say that, you know, it's easier to work in an office than to work on the ground as a security officer. I mean, I would imagine, you know, last time when we were in army, right? We do sentry, right? Yes. You know, like guard duties and all. 
And like what you said, you know, we need to always be on alert. And once you, you know, it's like sui sui. Sometimes once your alert is down, someone catches you and you get into trouble for that. But at the same time, sometimes when things are not happening, that means it's like, it's a boring day, right? Time can pass very, very slowly. Yes. It's like, you know, every hour, every minute, it's like, oh, you know, when's my shift going to end? And for like guard duty, when we do in army, it was like two hours shift, four hours shift. I can't remember exactly, but for them, it's like whole day's work. So interesting that you mentioned all this. Can I just ask if, do you think that the general population is actually pretty hard on our security guards? I mean, we have seen some videos online that went viral. You know, people being, being very mean and very harsh to security officers. There was one at Roxy Square, one, one, yes. uh, you know, one guy actually punched the security officer and it went viral. Do you have such experience in your company? Um, thank God, no. We do have uh, some nasty, uh, usually it's not the clients, it's their visitors mm. or sometimes the contractors who are in a rush, they tend to be a bit rude to the officers and all that. But nothing like, you know, the recent cases like scolding them. Someone and, getting hurt, assault. Or yes, spitting at them and mm. all that. Not until that kind of thing, thank God for that. But we had uh, quite a number of cases of... Uh, people being rude to them. See, usually the security officer, end of the day, even though it's not uh, uh, as bad as an assault, but he feels very demotivated. Mm. You come to work and then, you know, you're at the front line wearing your uniform, you're standing up there and everyone looks down at you. We've seen a lot of people, they don't even greet you, they don't look at your face as walk off and you stop and then they're just like, what? What do you want? Uh, and then when they, they will throw the pass at you, that kind of stuff, you know, it, it usually brings down the morale of the officers a lot. Yeah, and then the, with COVID-19, now with temperature taking exactly. and taking down particulars, you know, uh, I guess your officers have to be even more patient. Yes, I went to uh, this particular place about two days ago um, after the social distancing thing came about. The queue, we have to be one meter away. They only had one security officer there. It's not my company. I just went there to meet a client. And I really found the guy struggling. Mm. At this point of time, he was really struggling because he had to get them to declare, he had to take temperature. Oh yeah, now there are a lot of forms as well. And many people were still yeah. not used to the of course, of course. The social distancing. Yeah. They're still yeah. coming very close because they, you know, Singapore is like, uh, we, are in, we are always in a rush. Mm. So they got no time to stand far apart. They want to quickly rush through, get my pass done, get my temperature taken, I want to go off and that kind of stuff. So I, I could find the guy actually struggling, you know, uh, throughout the whole process. Of course, I could, also understand at this point of time, even if the client wants to put in more men, most probably the agency may not have enough men as well. Because mm. mm. some stuck in Malaysia, some on sick leave. And a lot, of, we also have some officers who refuse to work at this point of time. Because they just feel that they don't want to be on the front line. Front line yeah, okay. During this time, especially the, the, the older officers. And in our industry, most of them are above 50. So they will feel that, you know, I, I don't want to be in... I don't want to take such a risk. Okay. So your so, biggest challenge every day is a manpower issue? It's a manpower? Yes, mainly it's manpower. So far, thank God, uh, I don't have many of my clients who are losing business. So uh, I'm not uh, fearing that, you know, I'll lose contracts. But I'm more of like, you know, would I be able to fulfill my obligation? That's mm. the biggest worry that we have. That oh. means like when clients request for more manpower or, Even, or or like you said when one falls sick yes. when two falls sick or you know or when something happens at home and you exactly because for 80 men how many men do I put on standby I can't even put 40 men on standby mm. maybe 10 on really good days 
So if more than 10 people, because some of them have to schedule leave, some of them, and now with the temperature thing, if you're sick means you can't even come, if, if your temperature is high, you can't come to work. Mm. And so when that happens, we are again stuck. Right. So that's the challenge. So with COVID-19 now in place, uh, uh, is your company taking any steps, you know, in terms of managing the other aspects of the business? You know, um, are you all tightening your budget? Are you all <clears throat> um, sending more of your security guards for further training? Are you downsizing? Are you stopping recruitment? Um, you know, what, what steps have you taken since COVID-19 come in? Well, one thing is we are preparing ourselves for a full lockdown. Mm. So we're preparing to make sure that we're able to work from home as well. Right. That's for the office, the management portion, the admin accounts and operations. So, so the contingency plan is yes. there? Mm. The operation, uh, the the control room is a 24-hour control room. It has to be still run from the uh, registered control room point. So mm. that will still be there. But the rest of the office will actually work from home. But my officers will still have to go on their own to for work and they still have to do. So... Um, we are not downsizing. Uh, in fact, we are trying to recruit more people. So I, I, I always get this impression that you are always recruiting. Yes, we are uh, always recruiting. Always because, recruiting. Uh, you see, what happens is that at, at this point of time, we can't send anyone for causes because everyone is fully tight. So we have to still give them their off days. We have to give them their sick leave and, and so forth. So it's only best thing to do is we recruit have to have enough people. I, most of my clients, they did request for more men. So some of the clients have to tell them, I don't have enough men. So please, you know, uh, wait, wait first for a while. So if I have more men, I can actually help them out at, at this point of time. Mm. We, we told ourselves we're going to be socially responsible. We're not going to overcharge during this time. Usually, uh, security companies, they have yearly contract fees and they will have uh, ad hoc. So if you ask for men for one month, two months, it'll usually be very much more expensive than the year, yearly contract monthly rate. But here we told them we will give you the same rate as long as we don't make a loss. We are okay. We don't. We're not looking at so much of profit because this is, he is going to assist my officer as well, and I can't bear all the costs and put another extra man on site. So maybe you help me bear. Uh, you 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 pay a portion of it. I will cut on my profit. So we are doing that. We are recruiting more Singaporeans. We have technically stopped recruiting Malaysians now. Okay. One thing because they can't come over, yep. and another thing is. At the way we are going, um, what we also feel is in time to come, this is this is a big lesson learned. If this is the first time, uh, I think... Uh, when the borders have never closed before. Yes. Yeah. So if such a thing happened, we only can reply, uh, rely on our own people, not on foreigners. Is so, there a... How do I put it? Is there ideal... Who is your ideal employee when it comes to a job? Like like your company, you know, what, what the guys do on the ground every day. Mm-hmm. What's your ideal employee like? You know, in terms of attitude, in terms of their mindset, or in I, terms of their age, you know? I think uh, across the board, the older officers are much more responsible. Okay. Because they're not here to pass. I mean, uh, they're usually here to remain, uh, to, to retain their dignity. Mm. They don't want to be staying at home depending on their children for money. So when they come out, they have got this standard set upon themselves. I think it's a generation thing as well yes. sometimes. So they come here, they want to be responsible. Yeah. They they don't want to be caught for coming in late or dozing off a job mm. or forgetting to do things and all that. But of course, when you talk about, but many people will want younger people. Many of the clients will say, you know, I want uh, 30 plus. Then 
uh, when that that kind of age, this salary will not be enough for them. So what happened? They will most probably start moonlighting somewhere else. Okay. And they will come here and they will not be alert. They'll be dozing off. So the reason the for them wanting someone younger is it because like they feel that when something happens, the younger one can chase after the person or something. Yes. But then yeah. again, we also tell them that we cannot... We can't, we, we can't chase. Mm. The security officer's job, mainly in Singapore, is as a deterrent. Okay. And beyond that, to identify what has happened, to report and so forth. Not to go and fight with the officer. I mean, it's not... Uh, Steve, you mentioned about pay. Uh-huh. Is it okay for you to share with us, like, you know, what, what what's the pay range on the ground today that the security officer gets paid? For a normal security officer, he's uh, looking at something like about 2003 and above. This is for... How many hours a day? At 12 hours. 12 hours a day. Mm. That means working like, let's say they, you deploy the person at the factory mm. and he's at the security guard room. Yes. And for 12 hours. Yes. And the hours are like from 8 to Usually eight 7 or? to 7, 8 to 8. These and are the common time okay. uh, shifts. Sometimes it's 9 to 9 or 10 to 10 kind of thing. But that's quite uh, rare. Mostly it's 7 to 7, 8 to 8. Okay. And they will get $2,000. $2,300 for normal officers. Okay. If you're an SSO, you can easily earn another extra about $500, 2008, 2006 onwards. You and then, mentioned the SSO? Yes, Senior Security Officer. Okay, so how do you become a Senior Security Officer? You have to go for the courses. One thing is, after you become a new officer, a uh, licensed officer, after one year, you can go for a course. And you can become a Senior Security yes. Officer. So that means after one year, that means, am I right to say that after two to three years, someone in the security industry can earn, probably bring home like 2.8K a month? After two or three years, if they keep going for the course upgrading and good working attitude, they can earn at least about 4,000 plus in Singapore. Because from after your senior security officer course, you'll be going for security supervisor course. Okay. And then you've got your senior security supervisor course. And then eventually you become chief security officer. So okay. the, the, the career path for security officers is nicely done up now. All you have to do is willing to take up all the WSQ courses. And then and they are mostly funded by the government, right? Yes. I mean, for Singaporeans above 40, we pay very little, like 10% or something. Yeah, 90% is covered by the government. Yes. Yeah. So oh, for those 40 years and above. Care yeah. Of. Yeah. And usually, if you see, many people will not, only a few people will go up to uh, chief security officer. Okay. Because along the way, once your working attitude is good and you are keep on upgrading yourself, the company itself will take you in as their operation staff. Mm. Many operation managers, operation executives, were st- they started from. That means they're pushing your staff. No, no, I mean, we ourselves will take the men from the ground and use them as operation managers. So we will actually oh, promote okay. them. Your company, okay, yes. okay. So I'm just, I mean, it actually sounds pretty good to me. I don't know what you think, but I think that to be to draw a 4k salary as a security officer it's something that is there a quali- is there qualification requirements all these uh, courses that you do as long as you can read and write english you see the problem i mean uh, I'll, I'll say the real challenge here it's not about whether you're a diploma holder or o level holder of course you must be able to read and write english that's one thing another thing is your attitude mm. because you can have all the courses because there's another one more badge out there who has all the courses but they're still looking for relief job only Okay. Why? Because they just don't have the attitude. As we all know, in every company, in every industry, the moment we climb the ladder, we have a lot of extra added on stress, tension, responsibilities. If I don't want to take up as a chief security officer, I'm going to be in charge of at least about 20 of officers down there preparing the SOP, the fire evacuation, the safety measures of the company, everything. Mm. 
If there's a lockdown in the company, especially chemical plants, we do a, a number of sites in Jurong Island. If there's a shutdown, the chief security officer takes over the site. I mean, it's a life and death thing yes. like, in a way. Yeah. And at that point of time, if they are not having the right, they don't want this added responsibility, then forever you can only work as a security officer only. So, so you guys the made the decision, right, to promote the person to to go up and when they go for the courses after the courses after the course finish, automatically they become licensed security senior security officer and so forth. But we make the decision which side we want to put them as that. So that means if you are holding your license uh, as a security supervisor, okay, you can choose to work as a security officer alone mm. or senior security officer or supervisor, or senior supervisor. So it depends on where you want to work. Okay, so for the audience watching this, right, can I just break it down? Maybe I'll ask you uh, for two groups of people. One is, of course, the retirees who are looking at this as a second career. Like you said, they want to maintain their dignity, they want to earn an income, they want to just be it pastime, or whatever. They want, they're interested in the career in security. Yeah. That's group number one, which I think makes up quite a big percentage. Yes. Right, of. Group number two is, for example, someone like me in my early 30s, in my mid-30s, and I feel like um, maybe I'm interested to do this. Am I to make a career switch into this? How would you, you know, what's the progression like? Or how do I get started? You know, do I just go straight to a company like yours? Or can I, at the same time, while I'm still working, can I get some basic certification first? How does it work? Uh, for Singaporeans, it's actually quite uh, straightforward. You can go and take up your security course first, get your license. Okay. Then the, after is there expiry the date? The license, yeah, uh, for now is about five years. Okay. But it's only renewable after five years. You don't have to uh, do anything else. That means you don't have to go up, take up another course, at least for now. Mm. In five years' time to come, or in the near future, if they have, like, uh, initially when you started, you go for two modules. But now you have got three modules, including, they call it the RTT. So you have to have that in order to have a complete license. So that's the basic Thereafter, so, so for now, in five years' time, if there's no new changes, you just have to renew it, pay $5 or so, and just renew the license. That's about it. So basically what the license does is, when you have a license in Singapore, and if you commit a crime anywhere else, okay, automatically the license will be revoked and the company will be notified that they cannot use you immediately. So that's why they have a license to assure that, because as a company, we won't know what other crimes they commit outside. So in this way, if the police case automatically, it'll be uh, revoked and we will be notified that they have to be removed on the spot. So, okay, so for young people who are interested to join the industry, like, you know, now they are watching this and they hear that potentially I can earn $4,000 or even higher as a chief security officer. And it's something that they feel they have the aptitude for. How do they, you know, how do they, what do, how do they get started? How do they get started? Well, you see, um, one thing I can tell you, career enhancement voice in this industry is really very good. Because recently I'm seeing a lot of uh, people start off as security officer who have actually started becoming the licensee of the company itself. That means they become the directors of the company itself. How? Because... From a security officer? Yes. Oh, okay. Because number one, uh, for now, some of the requirements that you need in order to get your license is that you must have so many years of service, you must have all this, you must diploma and all that. So when you keep on going for the courses, eventually you will end up taking your diploma in security management. So oh. once that's done, and then you have got 10, 15 years, you have good working attitude, your companies can even take you in and try to apply you as a licensee. Because recently what's happening at the company is many security owners 
who are running the company, they don't have anyone to uh, take over the company. That means the children don't oh, want to okay. take over the company. Okay. So eventually they're selling. So they buy over the operations yes. of the business. And if you see okay. who are actually buying the security companies now, usually it's f- foreign companies. Foreign companies? Yes. They're so they're buying, they're absorbing and merging all these security yes. companies. Okay. So some of the big companies, they come in with, they and they buy four to five companies and they immediately become a huge stakeholder in the market. Because if I buy A company, which has got like 500 men, I buy C company, which has got 300 men, and I buy another one more company, which is 200 men, I have 1,000 men. So is the biggest company like Certis Cisco or something? Um, Certis is there, Atos is there, Up. Apro is there. Okay, these so, are the big boys. La. Are they are local the companies? But there are many other companies who are... Yeah, yeah, they're all... They're all local companies. Uh, yes. I mean, you see, what's your definition of local? The licensee is local. A couple of No, as in uh, they, they started are, local. Ah, uh, yes. So the foreign companies I mentioned, what are some of the names of these foreign companies? Uh, I think I don't mention names because I'm not sure how they will be comfortable or not. Okay. But uh, I think anyone who's in the industry, you'll know a few companies have, have come about like that. You see, what happens is that uh, for example, I can give you this Royal Security. Yeah. Can to everyone Royal Security, the directors are myself. Yeah. And my sister, two directors. Then we have got ABC Company, the directors are Mr. John and so forth. But you won't know who are the shareholders. Mm. That means we are employed as directors to run the company, but who are the shareholders? In this case, of course, we are the shareholders. But sometimes the foreign companies are the shareholders. Uh, so the law says that you, in order to be a director in a security company, you must be uh, local and you must okay, have got okay. certain criteria. But okay. shareholders, anyone can, any investor can come in and buy mm, the company. Okay. So then if I have 1,000 men, I become the biggest say in the market, in the industry, you see. So that's how they go about. So, so does it mean that basically you can have more control of the price point of uh, the manpower? Yeah, I mean... When um, you say... Uh, like bigger say in the industry? What does it mean? Like okay, you see, we are in an industry where we are always uh, fighting with many people. We are fighting with our clients. We are fighting with officers. We are fighting with the government. Why? Because new and new regulations are keep on putting upon us. And the clients are coming up with a lot of ridiculous LDs and requirements for us. And we talk about officers, they always are expecting something more. You give them a $500 increment, they are saying, why not 550 You give them 550 why not 600 You give them uh, an aircon card room, they will ask you, why not a fridge? You give them a fridge, why not microwave oven? Give them microwave <laughs> oven, why not a bed? So it still goes on and on and on. So we are always in a, in a place where we are fighting with everyone. So if I have got 1,000 men under my belt, my voice has got more credibility compared to the smaller company because we're talking about 250-year-old companies. So if I'm there and I'm going to say something and I know that I've got so much stakeholders, even the government, when they for any policy changes, they actually call in all the big boys. So automatically, I come in and become one of the biggest uh, stakeholders, you see. And when I come in like that, who do I put in as a director? The trend now is companies sell their companies to these foreigners and they still remain as directors, Okay, paid directors. So the licensing criteria is still met. At the same time, I don't own the company anymore. So these are the companies eventually, so these are the big ones I'm talking about. The mid-range companies, they are the ones who actually, okay, eventually I get someone else to invest and buy over the company, but I still need a, 
a person with license to become the director so then i can even take up someone maybe the the operation manager who has been with the company for more than 20 years who has got all the requirements so why not we give him a try who knows what to do so yes. so like that itself easily i can say about five or six six of them have become uh, directors of security agency so it's a good opportunity for you to really come up in this industry because this industry it's tough it's challenging but it's always changing it's changing for the better every other day that's why it's it's very challenging so what's your main role in the company uh main role yeah do you do like more business development or do you do like more admin well, mine is, is more strategic or client management okay uh, i go for appointments i meet up with clients i settle what they need for the clients and so forth so that's the main portion i actually play so, so when clients renewal. have issue the first person they call is you lah yes Okay. Because you get a lot what of we tell them, what uh, in my company, one thing that we make it a point to always do is that every site that we take, we always will go personally. I will usually go personally myself to take a look at the site to confirm that we can do the job. And every officer that we take at any point of time, myself or my sister, we will make sure we have a word with them before they go on the ground to work to ensure that this is the person, the right fit for the. because everybody can have license but we need to make sure that they are the right fit because that's the main job that's why the clients are paying for us to get the right fit for the job mm. so when we get that and that's when we can get the credibility the the, the confidence of the client because for us um being in the in the industry for quite some time one of the biggest challenges we have to continue my debts Legacy. legacy okay so when that happens we have to make sure that you know we don't just grow without looking down anymore mm. so we make sure we go for appointment we make sure we speak to the officers and to basically quality control okay. you mentioned about your dad you know your sister is it challenging running a family business i would say definitely uh i mean which business or which job doesn't have challenge right no as it in, has as in like because it's a family business because i i i hear you you know having this like i don't know whether it's like subconscious stress about mm. maintaining a legacy so i mean is it something see, that weighs down on you sometimes i would say uh it's a good it's a great platform that was given to us it's a great opportunity so we are working hard to make of course that opportunity comes with big shoes to fill so we have to work accordingly i mean one thing i've learned in life is life always throws opportunity at you it depends how how hard you want to work to make that opportunity work for you mm. if not you won't get another such opportunity because everyone some people uh gets windfall some people gets huge promotion or something like that still comes but everything comes with with something tacked along hard work a lot of sacrifices uh, responsibilities as long as that's maintained like in this case when i uh right after army when i got an opportunity to join my dad's company it was definitely big shoes to fill it was a superbly boring industry i didn't imagine myself working in an industry where every day you meet you know a senior folks guard place uh, guard was officer and all that and my first job in my company was actually as a security officer my dad told me you have to work as a security officer to know what what's going on So they want to want that you do start from scratch. ground zero yes. from scratch okay so that's where i started so i got to know exactly and then i started working as a supervisor i was waking up in the morning 5 6 o'clock to actually do deployment bringing officers to various places mm. and so forth and 
slowly, slowly. I went out. So now when I go and meet a client, of course, now I already have about 20 years of experience. So when I go to a client, I know because I've actually done every single job, you know, in the company. So I'm able to, so this was a good platform given to me. Like I said, I would never regret joining um, this industry. Mm. I would just say that, you know, if you tell me challenges, yes, when I came, there was, um, there was lots of challenges. Now, there's different kind of challenges. Okay. I don't think there's a day that goes without challenges. And that's what keeps us going as well. How do you manage it with your sister? As in, do you, I mean, I, I met a lot of family businesses whereby, you know, when siblings have to work together, right? Inevitably, you know, there will be some friction and all. I mean, yeah, there, there is definitely. Um, we quarrel. Uh, we have our differences. And uh, end of the day, we are, we are doing it for the company. So after two days, we just get back normal. Mm. We don't really go and sit down and talk about it over and over again. Mm. Eventually... She's taking care of some portion of the of the business. I'm taking care of some some portion. But the final say belongs to whoever is taking care of that department. Okay, so there's like clear yes. department that you guys mm. job scope that you guys have. Yeah, okay, and uh, Steve, you spoke about challenges, right? I mean, um, now with uh, disruption to the economy, disruption to technology. I mean, technology is coming in play a lot. Mm. So I see security is one of the areas where technology will eventually come in with more CCTVs on hand, with drone technology coming in. And in future, maybe you have more satellite mm -hmm. images using yep. uh, to patrol and all that kind of stuff. How is your company? Um, are, are they taking steps to prepare for this? Are you moving into that direction? Uh, what, what's your challenge and your take on this? Okay, um, one thing is that when we started, when first, there's, there's two areas that is uh, moving very fast in the security, manpower business. Apart from the manpower, there's two areas. One is training and one is technology. So training portion, we actually started our own training center for a while. And then we realized that, you know, uh, it's not very profitable to run a training just for our men. And, and government started coming up with their own training centers. So we took, then we closed and we started sending our men to their training centers. So we make sure that constantly they're being trained. As for technology, like when I started into the industry, we used to call uh, this clocking device called Amono Watchman Clock. I think in the army, we used to use that as well. What do, what do, what do you call that? Amono Watchman Clock. It's actually okay. a small brown thing and there's a key to it. So every every location, there will be a key. You have to mm. take the key, go in and turn. Okay. So it'll have the timing that you actually reach the site. So that is for you, the average to show that you did for clocking. So they have to do the patrolling on the site and all. Yes. Okay. So, but now things have changed all the way into everyone using handphones. Mm. An IRAP phone, they call it. You know, um, IRAP <sighs> is just one of the software that they use. And they actually go on site to clock. Something happens, they can take a picture on the spot and send. Mm. And the information is sent to my control room real time. Okay. So that is happening. And when it comes to uh, CCTVs, we have come up with cameras that can actually identify who is restricted into the area, who can still come in. And, you know, um, if your pass says that you're only able to go to level one to five, if you are seen in level six, it will immediately trigger something, trigger the okay. FCC. So they will know that you know, something is happening. So there's a lot. The drones are coming in and about. So it's, of course, one of our thing is, how are the clients really open to this? 
okay, I can spend a lot of money. I can have a good uh, playground with all these technologies. It's quite interesting. But thing is, how are the clients really open to all this? Even when, even the government tenders nowadays, they're still not talking about technology, except uh, CCTVs, visitor management. These are the two softwares that they are talking about technology-wise. Nobody's talking about robots. R- the robots are out. Why aren't, they, why aren't they talking about it? Because it's still not open to that yet. Because it's still, it's like, can it really do the job? You see, like for uh, an industry like mine, where my sites are normally, we are talking about two offices, uh, maximum three offices at per shift. This kind of technology will come in very useful. Mm. Is those sites where they talk about 20 men, they will they can go for the lean manpower concept. Technology comes in and they from 20 men, they reduce to maybe 10 men or so forth. But in my industry, I mean, in for my kind of sites, this technology will be very good. It's just that uh, maybe they are not open yet for drones and all that. Because there's a lot of, you know, Singapore is very particular about, you know, safety-wise and also privacy-wise. So you have a drone flying around, would you really be that comfortable? Would you have? So we are not really that open yet. We have tried it out. We have bought in. We have got vendors who will actually allow us to. Ideas. They will just steal on to us. We just oh, take it up okay. and just try it out. But I've seen uh, like a Segway machine that you all use for your patrolling. Ah, uh, yes. That's, that's also technology, right? Yes, yes, yes. You know, it and saves a lot of energy for the security officers as yes. well. Yeah. But it's just that nowadays uh, with the new... PMD thing and all that. Right. So we have actually stopped using it. Uh, but, but but you don't use it in public, right? I mean, you use it in yes, within the company's you, premises yes. and all that, right? Usually what happens is that um, we bought it. Mm. We used it at a few sites. Right. Eventually, they felt that it was going too fast. Mm. They're afraid that the officers will not be alert enough to monitor for anything. Right. You see, the whole concept of patrolling is when you patrol from A to B, you're supposed to watch for all the uh, key areas during that so, mm. so when you walk there, you have to make sure that there's no hole in the fence, the doors are closed, the lights are off and all that. They felt that the moment you go in a bicycle or a PMD concept, it actually, it's too fast. You may not be able to spot. So they stopped us. They said, no, you're doing this. If you see where they're still using that concept, a lot is shopping centers mm. where they have to travel, they react fast. Yeah. Uh, so from one end to one, if you see uh, next shopping center, they're actually using that a lot. Mm. You can really see a lot of them. So Even the airport as well. Yeah, I've I mean, seen that a lot. <laughs> so I've they have to lot. react yeah. very fast and they have to go from point to point and they can't be delaying. So they use that a lot. In fact, so the, side, in fact the enforcement officers at Changi Airport, they use it. Yeah. <laughs> Up and down. Yeah. <laughs> the road, you know, they use yeah. it. Yeah. Steve, so for there. someone who wants to, I mean, you mentioned that there are 250 agencies in Singapore, right? Why should someone join your company? Like, you know, as a boss, as a company, what's your culture like? What's your philosophy like when it comes to treating your employees? You know, why should someone join you? i give you some advertisement time. La. <laughs> no, <clears throat> uh, actually, it's very, very straightforward. Mm. One thing we always tell our officers is this. We are a family-based company. So something that, I know, I mean, we are super old school. We are super, super old school. Okay. We go with whatever my dad built a company upon. Mm. My dad was like LKY. Okay. So what he did was all on the ground. Every officer he knew by name. He was very close with all of them because mm. at that point of time, we only had about five sites that we started off with. For for many years, we had about 10 sites. And today and you have? About, we have about 
um 80 over sites now okay so uh, we had about 10 offices 15 offices maximum during really good days then so he had very close touch with everybody everyone was technically recruited by him mm. so the the flow was very good so anything they know that you know they are not working literally as a sec- in a security company mm. they are not working as a security i'm working for sigamani okay which is your your, your dad's name is <laughs> yes. I I I mean I I had the honor of knowing your dad um you know and I heard about stories where he helped people personally yes. his security guards you know um and even yourself and and your company they do help your own guys um, yes. could you like maybe share a story that that you know you've helped someone um thanks to a little bit of experience I got from grassroots and you know uh all that I we do a lot of Uh, we write a lot of appeal letters for our officers as well. Okay. So this is something that <laughs> which uh, many other companies don't do, lah. Because okay. I see that you know we can't help everyone with uh, just money alone. Yeah. Because sometimes what they need, I have this officer who is actually uh, he he when he came to the company he was having a stroke. Mm. So he had his left arm and leg um, can't move. I mean, uh, can't move that well, especially. So he actually. He drags his leg when he walks. That means when you interview him. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So then when we saw him, we were like, "I'm sorry, but you, I don't think so. You can." But he has got a security license because this happened after that. But he really wanted to work. He really wanted to oh, work. Okay. He told me, he "said I cannot find a job anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I really need this job." Right. Then we really felt very sad for him because you can really see he's very, very sincere. Mm-hmm. So what I did was, I just said, "Okay," I, I because being in security line. They will definitely expect you to be very fit and all. So I got to speak to my client and see if they are comfortable with it. Some clients are okay, but most are not. So, I mean, I don't blame them because in this line they will want someone who can react to it, and they also scared for the officer's safety as well. So then this particular client said, "Okay, never mind. Since we have two men, maybe you can use this guy. Okay, get him to be in the." Got post at all times, provided your other man is willing to do all the patrolling himself. Okay. So we came up with a deal. We paid the other officer extra some money, and we told him to do all the patrolling. And we told this guy, he said, "No, this is because we we always speak to the security managers and so forth. So the big bosses, we really don't know. If one day they see him, and they might say, no, out means out. So mm. you cannot hold us for it. We are going to go on a day to day basis. Yeah." I would say that he has been now with us for about seven years, wow. and he has gone to four sites. Mm-hmm. I mean, site uh, only one site the clear cut rejected him after a while when they found out because the boss found out. But apart from that, the rest of them were like you know uh, end of contract and so forth. Or sometimes the job just they had to reduce men because he can't do single shift alone. Mm-hmm. So when they had to reduce men, then he can't be alone. Then he has to be shifted up. Shifted out. So recently he came to me and he told me, "He said, you know, you know, uh, nobody give me a job and all that." And uh, so uh, I'm very thankful to y'all and all. So every Tuesday, he actually takes off, and we all know not to stop because he goes for uh, a particular massage to help him. Okay. So recently, I saw him after a long time. He could actually, you know, uh, walk well. I mean, not. I mean, you'll definitely know that there's he he. He's a stroke patient, but the thing is, so much better from the time he came. Mm. And he said that if I was, if you're bringing me a job, I'm at home all the way. I would have died. 
definitely because i'm going to be worse now i'm like forced to because every day at work i have forced to still walk out in front and all that and as much as possible i will try to hide what's wrong with me so that i don't get rejected from the side so i put in more and more effort to move my arms and legs and i'm so much more better and so forth and he told me he has got now one issue his daughter i think is already in sec 5 uh, and um uh um, only he and his daughter are around they were staying they are always staying in a rental room so now he wants to get a rental flat the government said so he but he oh. tried a few times he could not get because wow, that means was 7 like, years ago the daughter was only like 9 years old yes. when he was desperate for yes. a job because the wife i think um if i'm not mistaken i think the uh, they went through a divorce okay so now he and his daughter are they were all by themselves so that's when we we say okay we wrote in so we wrote in six times for him mm. appealing for a rental flat because his salary was already above the mark right okay. because he's drawing about 2007 because of the years and all this every year it goes up so we kept writing writing right i told him i say you know like what we always do we tell them we cannot promise but we travel level best we kept writing cases and all that letters from clients saying that you know how hard working he is and so mm. forth Eventually, now he just got his rental flat. Awesome! So right. there was, uh, we were very, very happy. He actually came to office, and uh, mm. the beautiful part was he came in office with, with a lot of kuei. They <laughs> <laughs> gave everybody. He said, "Thank you so much. I've got you know uh, now finally one big headache off my mind. I've got a a government rental flat, so awesome. I'm so much more comfortable and all that." So just he and the daughter. Yes. Well, you don't hear this kind of story every day, man. Mm. And and if. You guys have not really given him a job. When all out, I think yeah, the, the daughters, the even yeah. the daughters' future could have been jeopardy. Yes, yes. Yeah, mm. good but job, see, but guys. One thing is quite sad to say. We have given such opportunity to many people. Right. I've had. Um, I think Omar would know. There was one year this guy who came on stage and sang in our Deepavali show. Mm. Um, he had, his he was born with. Uh, I, I think one of the arms was actually much shorter. So. Right. The fingers are at the elbow there. Yes, yes, I remember. Yeah, he sings yeah, on. Yeah. So we and there was another one more guy. He has never come for our events, but during that time he used to work. He actually had a very bad accident, and his face is very badly damaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the extent where when he came in at that time, my daughter was very much younger. She was like about, I think, five or six years old. So I had to preempt her before meeting him that you know he is going to he he was looking. Um, pretty bad so we don't want the kids to get oh my god oh kind of stuff so we used him in our control room okay because on site definitely is going to be huge challenge so they wouldn't want him there so we we put him in the control room i say we have a, we have got many cases but i can only say out of like 10 15 people like that we have helped so you have four of them really made good use of the job the rest of them fell back into the crack i don't blame them because i think it's like someone who's fighting the society when somewhere else they get hit they might just throw everything and go off so i believe that many companies out there are willing to do such things it's just that after some bad experiences they start to like okay now forget we got to run a business yeah. we got to go and do and all the stuff then you think about maybe not lah yeah yeah it's awesome that you look into you know people's lives help them you know your own employees yes thank you i hope all your guys appreciate this man hope so too <laughs> there's always this part about you that is like You know, you want to help people, right? Is this something that also rubbed off from your dad as well? Oh yes, yes. My dad, 
I mean, when I was young, my dad was always he 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 never owned a bank account. Okay. So he will always carry. Uh, I still remember his salary will be cash with rubber band. Yes, <laughs> literally, you know, uh, it will be in the pocket. I should have robbed him. <laughs> <laughs> and when he just go, he just meet his um, officers when they come in and all that. They will like you know you just take out money and and just give them. As in, it's for them. Yeah, like, for them, you just okay. and you know it's like if they if they have been uh, working for many years and then they're going to go on long leave or they're going to go India and oh, all that. Oh, okay, okay. They should come and he will just help them in this kind of things. So he was always a a, a person who from young I kept seeing him doing that, and my mom as well until now. Mm. She is like the the person who take a bus. Recently, she she did this. She um, took a bus. Even though I told her to, to take a taxi, she said it's so expensive. Don't waste money. She took a bus. She went all the way to um, Sunway Home, Sunway Home, the one at Sambuang Shopping Center somewhere there. Sun okay. Love. Sun Love Home. Yes. Okay. She went there. She gave a twenty thousand dollars donation. Okay. And she took a bus. Mm. And, baby, and she was grumbling that you know the bus was very long and all that. I <laughs> said if you can spend twenty thousand dollars, you could just <laughs> spend about ten dollars and to uh-huh. just take a taxi, right? Then she said that it's because I didn't take taxi. That's why now I got twenty thousand dollars to donate. Awesome. But these are people who will never talk about it to anyone. They will never say it all. Mm. So this is other people whom I grew up seeing. So whatever you have, just help whatever you can. We will never help. Uh, if it's if not within our our means, okay, that means we will never borrow from someone to help someone else. Mm. This is what they have also taught me. If okay. you have so growing up, right? Mm. You know what were your money habits like, or how has your money habits changed? I mean, looking at I can imagine looking at how your father functions, right, and how your father behaves, right? Because my grand my grandpa is like that until today. You know, in the pocket pocket money in the pocket. Take out rubber band, you know, and you spend money and all. No wonder after the first typosum, you never let him, uh, <laughs> never let us meet him. Huh? <laughs> how, how is all? How do you? How will you describe your money habits? Mine. Yeah. Well, I would say that um, my dad and my mom, they are both extreme different ends. My dad okay. will just spend; he doesn't believe in savings. Mm-hmm. My mom believes in savings a lot. Mm-hmm. So, my dad is a person who can keep few thousand dollars in his pocket and my mom is the kind who will go and bank in $20 dollars as well. Mm. So, I had the best of both worlds. Very, very different. Yes. <laughs> so, I had the best of both worlds and you can see they both will be making fun of each other, especially mm. my dad. He will be like, you know, yeah, $20 dollars, you want to go and bank in and all that. But it's my mother who, who and my, but my father always tell me, you can do anything that you want but provided you have got a partner who's willing to do whatever else is needed that you are not doing. That means I earn the money, but she saves the money. Mm. If not, there's no money at all because I will just spend it. For me, uh, uh, expand the business, uh, this and so forth, so forth. It's your mother who keeps for the rainy days and, you know. Has your mom always been a house homemaker? Um, Well, most of the time. Okay. But there were challenging times. Whenever that happens, immediately she'll go and work. Mm. And uh, this is something that we all learned that, you know, don't look at, uh, many people say that no, I'm already in this status of life. If something goes wrong, or if I need more money, I, I still have to, you know, maintain this lifestyle. No. There was a point of time my dad sold his private, his, we were having a freehold bungalow house at uh, this Chalam Bombong. 
Okay. So whenever I go to our patron's house, I yeah, actually yeah. will pass by number six Jalan Dinding. I still remember very okay. well. I grew up yeah. down there, and he sold the place, mm. and he went. He sold. He sold the place. And he sold his Mercedes car. He went to a Vicky. You know, so Vicky, a small car, and they will be moved to um, a five-room flat. So that was because the company was going through a tough time. Yes. This, this same company, right? Royce Security. Yes. Yes. Okay. So. And then we picked up. I think about uh, seven years later, we bought a condo and, and so forth, and I've moved on. So, what my dad always told me was like, you know, don't feel shy. Whatever the situation is, that is the situation. You don't owe anyone else a living. Yep. If it means that you have to go and do a double job, go and do a double job. Mm. He went in that mode, and my mom is like, automatic. Okay, uh, things are getting a bit bad. She will. She when we were young, she always used to. There was this uh, company who will come in. Supply jeans. Those days, the jeans always will have extra string, so you're supposed to take a small little scissors and cut away all that. You mean like pants, jeans? Yes. Yeah, the jeans. Oh, okay. You'll have a lot of white strings. Okay. So the, the lorry will come in with tons and tons of jeans. You're supposed to. You can take go up. I think for every jeans, they give you fifty cents or a dollar or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, my two sisters and my mom, they will, will bring back a lot. We'll see it, and we'll just cut. Cut away all that because this and this extra money it will just she said it will just come in handy for uh, uh, one or two meals or one or two bills and stuff like that. Mm. So just like don't feel shy about it. Oh, you know, my husband is running a big company. How can I be doing this? Why? Money is money. So mm. just do it. Mm. If you have excess of it, you can donate it. But why must you just stay at home? If you have so much of free time, you stay at home. You're going to do nothing productive. Go and do something else. I mean, I've I've known your mum for many years, but I've never knew this. Yeah, this side of her. So this is how we we learn. So we if we have you know some free time, let's go and do something else. Let's do something you know something productive. Basically, mm. not it's not always about money, but at least it's something that's productive. Mm. Mm. Talking about your free time, mm. what are the other things that you're doing? Like grassroots, when I came in, mm. uh, was one of the main reasons was also because I was. Having too much of free time in hands. You have been a grassroots leader for twelve years, eleven um, years. I think about eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah, technically this year I'm supposed to get my ten years award, mm. but now with the COVID thing, <laughs> I don't know whether that's gonna happen. But anyways, it's been is technically ten years on paper this year. Okay, and um, I mean, and you have known Oma for ten, eleven years or so, lah. I I know Omar uh, even before that because before before joining Grassroots I was a MPS volunteer, oh, so okay. I already know Omar two three years before that. In fact, and before I, Grassroots, yeah, I'm the one who brought him into Grassroots. Yes, I yeah. see. Oh, you mean you were at MPS but you didn't join the Grassroots? Yeah, no. Oh, really? He, Actually, at that point, I didn't even know much about uh, grassroots. grassroots. All I know is there's an Indian group I wanted to join, mm. but Omar told me wait first. You know, when the time is right, I will bring you in. Mama San. <laughs> Eventually, about two years down, then he brought uh, me into there. How do you do? You still feel like you have a lot of time. Uh, you see, this COVID nineteen uh, gap actually taught something else as well. Yeah, you know, we always grumble yeah. that we have got no time. Yeah, why am I doing so much of stuff? Why am I so busy every time? Mm. Because especially in grassroots, it's one after one event, and especially when you started wearing a few more hats, you start like. There has been months where every day we have got something on in the evenings in yep. CC, but now that there's nothing going on in the CC, it's yep. like day town and all that. It's all cancelled. You actually 
are many of the members, many of us, I'm sure we are also facing like withdrawal symptoms <laughs> because we don't know what to do. Especially okay. right now where you can't even go out anywhere. Or yeah. You're literally feeling, oh my God, it's like, oh, like what's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. We were trying to hold some um, impromptu meetings just for to meet up, just to chit-chat kind of stuff. But now that that also can't be done, we're actually very, very quiet. And you know, it's a reminder that I always tell myself, it's not how much we do for the community, for grassroots, how much the grassroots does for us. Mm. It has improved me a lot. Mm. It has improved me really a lot from the time I came in. And then now a lot of changes I see in myself. So I would say what I did for grassroots was maybe 2%. And definitely 98% grassroots has done for me, changed me to a very much better person and so forth. Uh, what we do in grassroots, as in um, we reach out to the people. You, you no, as in your, your role, your role. Uh, I'm a chairman for the IEC. Okay. And uh, also uh, CCC treasurer and CCMC vice chairman. Uh, we also sit in uh, some other committees like the welfare committee and uh the arts committee and so forth. But uh, I would say that uh, activities are always there. But what's really uh, the thing that keeps going is the friendship. Yep. I think one thing, you know, that's it's always the friend, friends. So you don't feel as if you're going to work. It's something you look forward to. After work, come back home, it's like, okay, let me go and see my friends. In so... It's a friendly gathering. In the midst of it, we do a bit of good as well. <laughs> so that's how I always phrase it, phrase uh, grassroots at, and we learn a lot of stuff. So it is a very, very worthwhile thing. Yeah, and, and in grassroots also, we do help people. Yes. Unfortunate people who go through a tough time. Yeah, sometimes it's words of encouragement is all they need. It's yeah. not money. Sometimes, you know, some words of encouragement will actually impact their lives actually. Like you see, um, previously there was a time when uh, myself, Omar, and uh, I think um, Arubagam, Naidu, and Suresh. Suresh. Yeah, we all actually went because we heard about some some stories at uh, this particular rental flats and they are feeding the kids with uh, condensed milk instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, they can't buy. Condensed milk with water. Water, yes. So when we heard about that, we were very disturbed about it. And then, you know, we said, okay, like, you know what? We're going to cut on unnecessary expenses a bit. And we actually did it like for about a month. And we went, we used that money to go and buy. Milk powder. Yeah. Milk powder. We went and visited them and actually we gave them. So it was a very, very different, very good feel about it. And um, that didn't just stop there. Along the way, we have done many things. The, the last, the... Latest one that we are doing was we now into the healthy lifestyle thing. Basically, it's part of the withdrawal syndrome. Since we're not doing <laughs> anything much, we don't know what to do. We started walking and keeping a bit more healthy. Yeah. And that's when we realized that Healthy 365 app actually gives you money whenever you click a certain mileage. Mm. Healthy 365 Yes. Okay. Money? Money. They give you like uh, e-vouchers up to $5. Is it a government app? Yes. It's a government Okay. So but health you, promotion board. La. Yes. Okay. I thought it's more like NTUC voucher, ah, giant yes, yes. vouchers. So they give you like a e-vouchers right. after you complete a certain mileage and then you can go and pick it up right. from Not, not cash as per cash. Ah, yes, as yes. So what we thought e-vouchers. was yeah, okay. we will use the e-vouchers right. to go and take uh, maybe like healthier version like brown rice or right. something mm, like that. Right. And then we actually will collect because there's about uh, 10 of us 
There are about 14 of us in this group who's doing mm. it, but eight of us are very active. Right. So we will get all this evil. Just we don't need it for ourselves, mm. you know. So, but we can use that to actually uh, serve a better purpose and don't donate that to the low-income families, right. especially right now when I'm sure many of them will be will yeah. be affected with this yeah. COVID yeah. issue. Yeah. So, why we do that? One thing is, of course, we're going to help someone. Mm. You know, that's but another thing is whenever we feel there's a bigger purpose attached to it you won't give up easily mm. if it's just staying healthy staying fit eventually you're like hey, forget it mm. but it's like you know what you know if because if I work so much I can actually collect $10 so we have told them strictly nobody can use your own money to go and buy we have to go together and use that e-vultures only to buy that means you, have only, you only have five e-vultures for example then you can only buy that much worth of... Yeah. If you can walk more, you go... So it's a win-win situation. You help yourself and you help someone else. And there's a bigger purpose there so you won't give up along the way as well. That's very cool. What would you say to those people who still doubt grassroots leaders' work, who say they are just the mouthpiece for the government, they are just following MPs around just to you know raise their profile? You know, this story mm. actually shows that they are doing something different. What would you say to those people? I would just say that there is a reason why people are here for so many years. Because let's face it, after one, two years, you've got no more place to uh, store the pictures you've taken with MPs. It, suddenly you'll feel that even though it's a minister, after a while it's like, it, it serves no purpose. This is a, it, it's a true fact. You know that you can't get anything out of this, even though you are beside a minister at all times. This is you not Malaysia. Actually, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't help you. <laughs> this will get uh, us anyways. into trouble, though. <laughs> you you will not be able to uh, get any special benefits of or of any kind. Even the pictures to display. How many pictures are you going to display of for so many years? But there is a huge purpose to why people are staying here so much. Mm. Maybe the first two years you can say all these reasons, whatever reasons are stated for the parking, for uh, what primary school, a primary school. Maybe for the first two years, three years, but after that. Why are there people so many years? And you can see very uh, people who are very much, uh, I mean, even in their 70s, and they're still actively participating. Why? When they could be at home with their grandchildren, why are they still actively coming? I mean, it, definitely there is something huge down there. And it's no point of me explaining what's so good about that. And because this is something, like, unless you come, you'll never ever be able to experience it. Right. You have to come in, go into it, go into the motion. First, I expect the first one year might be tough. Because my first, after my third meeting, I almost wanted to give up. I was telling Omar, I, I want to give up. I'm so angry with them. You know, mm. I'm, 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 I'm a boss of a company. You know, how dare they talk to me like that? <laughs> <laughs> I still remember at Vesta Point Coffee Shop. I was like, there, and he was like, okay, cool down, cool down, cool down. I was like, no, but this is not the way. You know, it's my way or the highway. You know, how mm. dare they do that? But that actually is what, that is the life-changing uh, process. Yeah, It's hard, but it's actually very, very good. Mm. I mean, uh, along the way, we meet a lot of people. When, For example, when I met you first, mm. I thought, you know, you are just here to because you were invited by the advisor. Oh, she yeah, brought yeah, you yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you yeah, were like, you know, the blue-eyed boy yeah, 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 who was yeah, like, you know, not just me, everybody. Okay, okay. It's uh, always the blue-eyed boy. <laughs> But after those, I became a blue black boy. <laughs> <laughs> so after a while, everybody were like, you know, hey, what was this guy? Huh? It's like, huh? But you see, eventually, it took me to know the real you only after a few years. Yeah, we actually, 
I mean, for those who are watching, we actually met at uh, GE 2011. Yes. General Elections 2011. So that time, I still remember we were tasked to do like the... That time, new media was like still like a new concept, you know. Brand new concept. Like Facebook, you know, posting things on Facebook and all. It was, it was already there, but in terms of elections, 2011 elections was probably the first social media kind of like GE. Mm. I think 2006, Facebook probably, YouTube haven't even started. Or yeah. just barely started. So we were like taking photos, following the following the candidate, taking photos and, you know, posting the photos on Facebook. So that's where I first got to know Steve. And Steve is one of the first few people that I know. Because we were in that group together. I actually know Omar a bit later. Yeah. yeah. Actually I, I I there was one big lesson that Steve learned in uh, when he was quite brand new. La. You know, um because he was um a bit shy about meeting residents. You know, um, okay, so, he said really big boss, yeah, he's you know, a big boss, yeah. and and you know he he door knocking exercise, you know, <laughs> outreaching to people was just not his cup of tea, la. But um, I gave him a lesson one day that uh, uh, that that I think took him by surprise, and maybe you should tell a story. Yeah, uh, I still remember I messaged Omar and said that you know, uh, bro, for the door knocking, I'm not very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've done door knocking many times before. For sales, I was a, I was selling ADT alarms at a point of time, and when I was my teenager, I sell Christmas cards. Those that was very famous. I did so, that before as well, selling yeah. Christmas cards. So mm-hmm. I, I'm very familiar yeah. with door knocking, yeah. but it's just that I've just felt that you know I've gone up to a certain level. Mm. So now going back to where I started from, uh, no, I don't have to going there to sell three dollars tickets, two dollars tickets. Mm-hmm. So I, I I found it as uh, it's a waste of my time, so mm. I should not be doing. Uh, I should be doing the bigger things. And I told him, you know, I, I'm I'm not very comfortable. I I hope you don't mind. You see, no problem and all that. You come, but uh, Omar had a very uh, unique way of telling because he, he if Omar had uh, told me no, you have to uh, and stuff like that, I may have probably just left there and there because I didn't understand what was the real meaning of doing things. But what he told me was, no problem, but could you just come with us, kaki kaki, just about four or five half hours only. And then, uh, Omar has this way of uh, making you feel bad as well. If you don't come now, he'll say that, you know, I stayed there was three of us. Well, we felt so, son, if only you were also there, it'll be so fun. Mm. So it's not it's, about it's the not work, it's about the fun. It's not black <laughs> So, then you will feel like, okay, I'll come. But, say, but I'm, I'm not comfortable. No no problem. So what I used to do is, when they were knocking on the doors, I'll run down. Because, at, uh, I, I mean, I was the Advanced youngest uh, in that group. So they, he always said, we're all old men. Like, we cannot go around so fast. You go around first. Basically, it was to make me come. But you don't have to do what you're not comfortable with. You just do, just go down and tell us, okay, third floor, there's an a Indian household. By the way, we were uh, part of the Indian group. So we have to reach out to the Indian residents. Okay. So we'll go, I'll go and spot, okay, third floor there's one house, second floor there's two houses and so forth. So they don't have to go to every other floor, they can just come straight to the floor. That was how, what we started off. So I remember that day, it was the last house, 10 o'clock, we we're going to be finished the last house. We just went there. I was, so now, uh, after about two or three visits, I was already with them, I know what's happening. And then, so when they are talking, I'll just stand beside. I won't talk, they'll just talk. So what happened, he knocked, he pressed the doorbell. So when the door opened, <laughs> he said, all yours, bro. And he left. Mm. So I was stuck there and I was like, and there was a small little boy who came out. He looked at me and I was like, this big guy. I was uh, like, ah, uh, 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 spiding away. <laughs> I mean, I could imagine. Can you imagine? 
what the small boy was like, what is this big giant in front of me who's perspiring away? He's like, do you know, it's the place from... But after that process, that actually broke the ice for me. So after that, I could easily go. I mean, uh, about a month later, I was bringing the new members and orientating them about blog visit. Mm. Something that I refused to do at all. So do you use the same tactic on other people as well? <laughs> no, now I always share my story. Uh-huh. And I always tell them my story. But I, I, I don't think I've met anyone so far who were maybe as, who were as stubborn as me before. <laughs> so I've never met. Nowadays, they're all like quite okay. But I always share this story. Because I, I, like I said, I only did 2% for grassroots. 98% grassroots did for me. Mm. It made me come out of my comfort zone so many times, even though the process was difficult and I hated it. But after all, it did me a lot of benefit. It's the same for me as well. I mean, So, things are the same for many of us. Yeah, agree. It's uh, but was there a point of time whereby you realized that I was actually not a blue-eyed boy? Hmm. <laughs> uh, that one highly <laughs> controversial, <laughs> uh, Different people got different <laughs> subject. Subject is highly <laughs> subjective questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I I got that, then I think it wasn't. Well, anyway, that's another story for another day. But yeah. it was fun. I think I I always remember like if you ask me um the project that we work on, the CC Open House. Mm. I always remember this one thing whereby, you know, you, you actually wanted to put the spotlights on the multi-story car park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the lights shining down from multi-story car park. Can you beat that on the day he came late when it was raining all the way? <laughs> no, no, because I gave him the suggestion, why not make it an open concept? Don't worry, nah, the weather will be okay and all that. Make it different, you know? Because most of the time, people put tentage, you know, why want to make it so... You know, mm. make it an open concept, yeah. make it something different with with the with the spotlight, colored light, those people dancing there and all that, it'll be different. Our friend here one is hour, a signature phrase, uh, shoot one, first, aim later. Ah, that's right. Yeah. But one hour before the the event uh, and before setting up, he calling me, Hey, it's raining already, you know. How? No, first of all, that's not how he said. You know how he said, <laughs> Why don't you be scared? We only same old thing, uh. Same old thing, less like everyone else. Mm. Then I say, no lah, bro, don't take this lah. Yeah, okay, okay, up to you. It's your call. It's your call, bro. It's your call. <laughs> then I'm like, yeah, it's just same lah. It's what every year, everyone else does. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Until not, we feel like, oh, okay. Not okay. black music again. Nah. <laughs> so, so, can be lah, bro. I mean, what worse can happen lah, right? Now? Okay, we went for it. And it started raining that day from about, I think about 11 plus 12, onwards all the way. We even got Uncle Thor to help us with some... Uh, yeah, medium you know, to come in and pray. Oh, prayers, prayers, <laughs> prayers. No, we we got Mr. Gunn. Oh, Mr. Gunn. Mr. Um, Gunn. Mr. Thor's what, friend. Uh. No, he is actually uh, a member with SEC. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, you know who brought him or not? Pokun. Mm. She brought him in. Mm. But he is the one until now I use. Uh, for all my events, I make sure he comes until now. He's the medium with the Chinese temple and also a <laughs> grassroots leader. So, but everything, miracles until now. 
Okay, he always come. He always he will tell. Okay, this time to this time there would be rain. Uh, But after that, ah, uh, uh, will will rain it will be better. Exactly, something will happen. Ah, uh, so that was in two zero one two or one three. I remember that was the year my dad passed away. Seven years now. So one tree, yeah, probably one tree. seven years ago. Yeah, but you're talking about this or that open house or the the CC opening? No, seven? he's the CC open open house. Oh, yeah. the, the one, the other one, the void deck CC, the the sixties oh, yes, style. CC. That was different, lah. There is the one five. That was the one five, five. Ah. or one four, I think. Yeah, the one is four. the place of mm. show opening, mm. right? Mm. Oh, okay. Where we did the the come, the some street women all came out, right? Some street yeah, women, yeah, we the had the raffles. Yeah. What were you dressed in, ah? Yeah, were you even there? I was there, but I wasn't dressed <laughs> as anything. Yes, I. He was running the program, I think. Uh, I was running the program. Yeah, yeah, it was happening. Oh, running the program. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, those were very fun days. Mm. I mean, those were different times. Mm. We tried different concepts. We just didn't care. Um, we didn't want to follow the norms. Want to do and we was always a testing phase and we sometimes get it wrong. In fact, most of the time we get it wrong, but it's been a good learning process overall, lah. Yeah. In fact, I wouldn't say we get it wrong, lah. Maybe we never get our hundred percent expected mm. result, mm. but usually it always ends up well. But it's just that we know in the back end that we planned so much, few things was not in the list. Yeah, we had high expectations. Yes, it was never yeah. a time whereby you know the thing flopped or something terribly went wrong. Right, but of course. Remember the pom- the time when we made the column, yeah, yeah, the Singapore, uh, uh, the biggest, biggest Singapore flag in column, mm. and how we while doing it, they yeah. oh, I think I remember they that could not well. find, yeah, yeah, we couldn't find. <laughs> you <laughs> came from reservists, what? We wrote you a letter to come back from reservists. Oh, is remember it? you came back from reservists. So I don't remember. That was the pound the the time when, uh. Just just about two two hours before the actual event, they already making the flag. The two of us were going back to my place to change. Yeah. When uh, Jerry's came in, when Jerry's came in, told us that uh, they are running out of column, column, column yeah. powder. The red, okay. red, red powder. flour. Okay. I said, hey, bro, white flour I can go and buy now from shop. Red flour we make it, we made it ourselves. <laughs> so where do we go and buy it? I don't care, bro. Just do something. So um, I remember Jerry's came in, told us that we don't have enough red flour. I told him, bro, we cannot do anything at all. There's no way we can go and make red flour now, so we have to do something. Ask me, do what? I say, I don't know. Do something. <laughs> and we we went to go and change. So when we came back, okay, somehow or other they did something. The flag was done, and I would definitely say that you know, that event there was so many cockups in way different levels, but the end result was very beautiful, and yeah. we learned a lot. The best part was we learned a lot about. People, we learned about how uh, many of the people who were there did last minute. Remember, uh, my wife Rita, she came and said that, "Hey, aren't you supposed to have a border?" I was like, "Oh yeah, no border." Then everybody, you know, Madam Jean Tim, Madam Masanda, with their back pain, they were actually doing the border and all that. So everybody wanted it to happen, and you know, put together. This was the thing that really bonded us very, very well. It was even featured in the Chinese radio. Yes. We all yeah. made, you know the Jerry's. You mentioned Jerry's, right? Jerry's. You know this is like part of the Indian culture group thingy, right? Indian, I, he's yeah, Indian Filipino. He's Filipino number one, and he's Muslim, yeah. <laughs> and he's like one of the core members that you guys have. Yeah. At the IEC. Even now, even though he's no longer uh, in grassroots, very active, but still now for our temple chariot, all of the mm. events, he's still there. Yeah, 
Yeah, so who brought Jerry's? Ah, Jerry's. I think all was you, you lah. Yeah, yeah. Jerry, Suresh. You, you bring, yeah, yeah, I, I brought Jerry's. I, Jerry, Suresh, all came in the same time. I, Jerry, Suresh, and Naidu, Aru, all you brought in, man. Right, right, right. No, Aru came um, through the system, but um, Saras then hmm. from Saras Naga. So he 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 was like you know the. The child catcher that he will go and catch people from somewhere. Wherever you go and meet someone, he will talk to them. He will bring them here. <laughs> It's quite a challenge. Yeah. You had a good rate, lah. You brought in many people. No, I think within six months, uh, the time we did the video for the China trip. Yes, yes. Within six months, we managed to get 15 people. Wow. Yeah, but uh, at the time I had help, lah. Here and there, I mm. told everyone to put in their part to try mm. to get as many people to come in. Uh, don't worry about their background. We they slowly settle in, you know, and then we work with them. We find out what's their characteristics. The main thing we have to see whether they had the right aptitude for it, and, and they are willing to good. try. Yes, and they wanted, yeah, yeah, and as long as they wanted to try, we we give them the thing. Just come on board and just try. If it's your cup of tea, you work. Mm. If we, if it doesn't, then we look at other ways on how we can motivate that person. I mean, Naidu was a very good story. Yeah. He actually, after the second meeting, he I think he probably ran away because uh, he didn't like my face or at the meeting I was talking too much or something <laughs> like that. He ran away and I gave Steve a challenge. By hook or by crook, you won't get that boy back because uh-huh. he was a young member. Young boy, young boy. Yeah, he was a very young member and I feel that we needed uh, young blood and, and, I could, and I knew he was talented in the IT side. So I thought he's a very... Uh, unique skills to help us in our community to do the community work, lah. And uh, eventually, Steve managed to do it, lah. I don't know how he did it, but my instruction is always by hook or by crook. Yeah. Get. <laughs> he was even telling me he don't even want to respond to me. My headphone. I said, never mind. Try again. <laughs> it was fun. So uh, definitely, these were the the stories that kept us going, and I would definitely say at that point of time. Um, everybody felt that uh, it's their duty, especially when we went for a, a event. We just had four or five people, and Oma went up there, and we we're supposed to share about what our IAC done has yep. done yep. on a GRC level uh, fellowship. And Oma actually went up there and said that we're having our midlife crisis. We only have about five people and all that. Uh-huh. Why well, at that point of time? When we saw the rest of the people, and, and you know, they were just talking about they were big, big, large groups, and we were like small, little ones. It kind of like made all of us like you know, we better do something about it. Mm. So we kind of like you know, Omar's job was to bring in people from outside. So my job was to keep them there, mm. to make sure they don't go out. Then we had our buddy system to keep a close touch with them. Then we had our own people, like one instigator. The one guy who's easy to hey come on, why are you shy? Easy, ah, eat lah, come come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Suresh was doing that. Uh, Subhash is the instigator. Uh, oh, why are you scared? Is it cannot uh, uh, push? Uh. So we had our our own formula. people. Yes, uh, we have our own ways. Roles, yeah. we have our own ways of trying to see. And we even had our own like tea session with the individual IC member itself, mm. so that we can understand what's going on with the rest of the members. Understand more about the character of the individual member, yeah, yeah. That really helped. And I think what really made most of us kept together is that whenever something happens in our families, we made it a point that you know we are not just here for grassroots. Mm. In fact, we made it a point like you know grassroots is secondary. The first is the primary is our our relationship. relationship. 
And that is really what kept us going until now. Because now it's like, you know, any one of us, I mean, good times or bad times, we always make sure we are there for the other person. And okay. and remember, you know, some of our activities, we always involve the family members. Yes. You know, that, that Saturday night uh, session we used yes. to have, you know, the... Disco uh, nights. Yeah, the disco yes. nights and all that. So the time our kids all were young kids. Yeah. So we had a whale of a time. We all yeah. came in, they were dancing around. We got uh, one member who had some sound system and all that. We told him to put it up. And a small little, that was the Void Deck CC. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we put it up there. We had a, they, eventually when we went to China, we got the, the disco ball. So we fixed it there. And then we just had fun. Just us, just fun. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The disco ball on. that you got from China. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> from that retreat, I think it was to Zuhai. Yes. Zuhai. You guys got a disco ball. So then, ever since then, we started, you know, working on that. And I would definitely, until now, recently, um, we had the session, uh, My Life with Vitri. About uh, 10, 10 of us were there. Each were asked to share about 10 minutes about how they started off with V3, IEC, and how long, you know, they're all there. And everybody had a very similar story to share. And I could see the baseline for everyone is that, you know, this is beyond grassroots. More of my family. I know I can rely on these people in my times of need. And that is what, from day one, uh, Omar instilled in the whole group. And we have been also following through that. As long as that is followed, we know that's our, our safety net. Mm. As long as that's there, everything I can, whatever uh, difference of opinion we have, how stressful we get, also we still come back. We can take a break for a while, but still come back because of that. Like 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 you, for example, when we had the housing issue, mm. um, I still remember. Bought my dream house, and it was all hacked up, and the contractor went missing. During the renovations. Yeah, they hacked everything, you know, they went missing. After I gave them a check for $100,000. So renovation loan. So I took the whole thing and gave it to them, hoping and they're going to make the house. They went missing. Uh, the guy was like coming for a while. Then they were not coming. They're coming for a while again. They were not coming. So I was like wondering what's really happening. Call here, call there. Finally, we realized, we heard that he went to prison. He told you that he went overseas, right? He told me, yeah, he's going yeah, to China to make a big... But his partners will be there to take care. The partners said that he took all the money and went ready. What do you expect us to do? And that's when, you know, I was like, really, what am I going to do? And um, going round and round and round, um, temples, praying and stuff like that. I was very guilt conscious uh, that made such a bad call and all. That's when, thank God, I suddenly remembered you. So I called you. I still remember that day when I asked you. Where did I go? I can't remember. I we remember. met at the police station? No, we met at the court. Wasn't it at prison? No. Eh? No, it wasn't. It was in remand. So we were yeah. supposed to visit, right? Yeah. yeah. It was at the remand. Yeah, so we met in prison. And I went to meet you in prison. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> because but the wife happened to be there. Yes, the wife was going in to see him. I remember the So story. we spoke to her. Yeah, so basically the, it was because it, they were Chinese. La, so, yes. you know, and, and they can't speak. And you overheard the conversation, so you knew a little bit. The right? wife can't speak English. Yeah. yeah, And most importantly, I think it's when you sat on the floor, when she was on the chair, and when she was crying away, and you still spoke to her and explained, oh, this guy has got <laughs> child at home, now you've got no place to stay, his house so ready, all, the, all that kind of stuff. That's when the whole thing really took motion. If not, there's no way I think I would have got the $100,000 back. Actually, you were very lucky. 
Definitely, you know? definitely. You know, I still remember there was one time we, following to that, we went to their house again. Okay, I had, think the first installment of the loan bag or yeah. something. Or to talk about something. And they had a cousin, sister, or one lady who was like all tattoos. There's someone tattooed, you know, sitting there, uh, you know. Of course, we have seen all these things before. <laughs> but actually, we went in a, with a very genuine approach. Like, we're just saying, yeah. you know, just give us back our money. We're and I mean, we, we, we could empathize with the wife as well. Like. Mm. You know, she was crying genuinely and she was like, you know, the wife, the husband is in prison. And I'm sure you were not the, like, probably the only client who came after her. Mm. Yeah, so it was quite difficult for her. I think what's really uh, a takeaway from here is that these are the people that uh, I would always say God has given you in your life. Mm. Like, like, you know, you could have always refused or you could have just come there and did a half past six job. Yeah. Mm. First of all, you could have just said, yeah, I tried, I asked them, I just do the translating. Translation job. Uh, you don't have to like, go on, yeah. sit down on the floor. Mm. And, you Did know, I see on the floor? Stuff. Yeah, yeah. In the prison? No, because this we were at the waiting area. Oh, yeah, yeah we were at the waiting area. And yeah. I don't think it's a prison. It's it somewhere like. they actually speak through the TV. So there was like oh. a remand center or some somewhere there. La. So, um, prison. I thought I went to the town council. Yeah. I can't remember. And, and, and all this is through the power of network of grassroots. Yeah. I mean, personally, if not for JJ, two years ago, I wouldn't have taken up uh, hospitalization insurance. And just last month, I got a heart attack and luckily all this was covered. I mean, if I had not known him and he had not like at least explained to me about the coverage that I would have got, I know by now I'll be owing the hospital uh, instead of getting and having more stress uh, and probably have another one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to sell one kidney. No, but it's true. The, the power of the network, we know, mm. we, we know lawyers, we know architects, we know different people from different fields, different expertise. We can always tap on them. Yeah. And on a personal basis, they will always help each other. I mean, I, like, I always feel that we are always friends first. Uh, correct? Friends, mm. then you know, we yeah. serve in the grassroots. Then we, yeah, uh, we're always there for each other. And I think that's the most important thing that everyone who is in grassroots and who wants to join grassroots should take as the main main thing. Because, yeah. I mean, there's many organizations you can join to help. Of yeah. course. And you yeah. don't even have yeah. to join an organization. You can, you can even create your own. Yeah. But most importantly, in here, the group is very big. Make good, be genuine. You make a lot of good friends. You have yeah. very good experience and all that. Mm. So, despite all that you are doing in the grassroots for so many years, right? Mm. You still went one step further, I would say, to start something called Mr. Dream Big. Yeah, Dream Big. Uh, okay, basically what happened was, when I was about 35, after I got moved into this house, I was having a lot of parties. So, I was enjoying myself when I, I realized that um, I met an old friend mm. who was... Uh, when I was a teenager, I was uh, in a lot of, uh, I, was a, I was a rascal, in other words. Okay. <laughs> Extreme. <laughs> so I was into a lot of, you know, uh, uh, bad company, uh, secret societies, and I was into drugs, all the kind of stuff. So when I was in that situation, this, this friend of mine who was there with me all the way, was a very, very good friend of mine. And we both were, you know, equally in the same shoes. But I came out of it eventually. He didn't. So when I met him, he actually told me how bad in situation he was in. He was actually in and out of prison. He has got a child, but has never seen uh, the child at all because the wife gave birth when he was in prison and was divorced 
during his prison term itself. So he never get to see the child at all and his life was haywire. So when he told me that, that night when I went back, I was just thinking to myself, hey, you know what? How, I mean, why did I, we were together in the whole part together. How did I come out of it? Mm. And everything happens for a reason, right? So I took one little step away from the path that we were in and that brought me here. He remained in the path and that brought him somewhere else. Mm. So everything happens for a reason. Right? I always believe if if miracles, if a miracle happens to you, you are supposed to do another miracle for someone else. Okay. So that's when I started, okay, now what? let's do something for the kids. But how do I go about I don't know. I don't want to be restricted to uh, admiralty alone since mm-hmm. I'm a grassroots leader here. Uh, and I don't want to be restricted to Indians alone. I'll do something else. Too. So, that's when I thought, okay, maybe first what we do, we open a company. We open a company, Dream Big Private Limited. Mm-hmm. And then we started, we don't really go for the money. We really go for um, projects. And uh, since it's a, it's a private living company, there's no red tips. So I was I'm in the more on the exploring stage, exploring how we can help people to literally dream big. Because I felt that as a teenager, if I was very clear in what my dream was, I would not have gone wrong. Mm. Even if I had gone wrong, I would have come back immediately. I wasn't clear. In fact, I had no dream. So that's why, you know, it's like, you know, I just went day to day. Day to day means okay, you know. Today it's drugs, tomorrow it's drinks, the day after tomorrow skip school. I got sacked from school. The life just goes on. What's the big deal, you know, about it? You got sacked from school? Yes. When you were? Uh, when I was 16. 16. So that was like your O-levels years, N-levels years? N-levels. N-level Before years. my results came in, my school kicked me out mm-hmm. because they said that um, I was giving too much of trouble mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, Talking about that, one of my biggest achievements in life is that I'm part of the same this same school alumni and for the past five years in a row, mm-hmm. I've actually been going back to the school and talking to students on how to dream big. Mm. So compared to the many talks I've given elsewhere, that particular talk whenever I go to the school brings back a lot of memories because I was always not in the positive light in the school at all. I was always in the negative light. In fact, the first time my name was called in, you know, on a stage um, for a positive reason was when my daughter got an award. <laughs> and they said, Roshni Steve Saravanan. <laughs> and that actually brought back a lot of awareness for me at the point in time when I was like, you know, yeah, my name has never been called on stage for a positive reason in school at all. It's and always one of the bad things. Yes. Until when I went back to the school. Have you ever been cane in school? Yes, yes. yes. Two strokes of the cane. Public cleaning? No. Uh, I think my time public cleaning was already like off already. It was in, in the, the classroom. Also. In, the oh, in, the, in the principal's uh, room. Okay. In the principal room. So that was how bad you were. Yeah, you got cane and you got expelled from school. And Yes. So when I, dis- then when I, I mean, not just to do something, uh, because I don't believe in, uh, uh, there was this one sentence that um, Omar said once when we joined grassroots. She said, no, we don't want people to spend their time and their money same time. Right, no? Either you donate or you spend time. We don't. Basically, mm. he didn't want members to be also forcing okay. them to sponsor money as well, mm-hmm. as long as that as well as well as that time. So then I was thinking, and I I read the survey once. They say Singap- Singaporeans are more than willing to donate money mm. compared to their time. And I watched this particular uh, news about this particular guy who went to a Philippines village 
he's a very rich guy he went to he went on a world tour or something like that he went to this village and found there's a lot of issues to him he solved so he came back and then he sold his ferrari which just came in he sold it back took the money sent it to them and they wrote it back to him and said that we really hope you can come and help us manage because we don't know how to manage it as well mm she she came back so he was interviewed i used to uh, really read august men magazine yep. quite a bit so his story was featured there then i was thinking so it's not always about money mm. many people are willing to do that but who's willing to actually talk to them son if someone if i had a, a figure in my life who could actually at the point of time help me to dream instead of always telling me what was going wrong what was doing mm. wrong what right wrong but someone who just don't talk about what's right or what's wrong just talk about you know what if you want So you want to, you know, play music? Okay, cool. So let's cut an album. Let's work on it. Feel the pressure of working towards it. Whatever it is you want to do. And that's when I realized, you know, if why not I be that person? Mm. So like what I said just now, don't have to join an organization. You become that organization. So now, during my in my talks, I make it a point not to push my thoughts to the children. Okay. What's right? What's wrong? Is really up to you. But what is it that you want, and are you working towards it? That's the only baseline that I want for all my talks. If you have a dream, if you don't have a dream, it's time for you to dream. Have a dream. Are you working about it? Mm-hmm. I I'm not going to come and tell you, hey, don't uh, don't take drugs, don't uh, study well, and all that, because I think everyone is saying that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to tell you, no problem. This is what you want, and this is what. So we, do, I always draw this. So this is what you want, right? So this is what happened, and this is what you're doing. See for yourself. So. Are you going in the right path? Sorry, can we go back to a bit earlier? Whereby you mentioned about being sixteen and being expelled from school. So, what inspired the change whereby you became who you are afterwards? Um, basically, um, my parents were not talking to me. My mom, especially, she wasn't talking to me at all. Mm-hmm. So, because I, I kept running, uh, running away from home, mm-hmm. so she was very, very uh, disappointed with me and all that. So, I was alone at home. And since I was alone, since I was alone at home, just spending too much of time with friends and all that, right? So eventually, what happened one day? Um, I was almost arrested in Bodh Ki, mm. so I was already handcuffed. Mm. So I really some miracle happened. I was let off after that because we were caught for fighting mm. for a very extremely silly reason. Mm. We don't know who who we were, why we were. We were just drunk and we were just like you know fighting away for no reason. At that point in time, really, first time, I got very, very fearful. I really felt that that's it. You know, my life is gone. How am I supposed to go back now? Mm-hmm. I'm handcuffed, sitting at the boat key, squatting down, looking at the the river, and I'm like, you know, okay, now they're going to bring me back. How am I supposed to go back? That's it. That's like rioting, lah, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, the friend who was in a bad shape, the two of us was squatting beside. It's that same friend that you yes. talk about, okay. So I was like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen?" And that day, I don't know, somehow or other, they actually warned us and let us go. Mm-hmm. So after handcuff, which is very very rare, once they handcuff you, they will never do that. But they actually let go of us on the spot. On the spot. Okay. I mean, after uh, about one two hours of lecturing and finding with both parties now. That they time, how old go. were you? I was like. Definitely, I wasn't eighteen yet. So before I was seventeen. Uh? Oh yeah. Before okay. NS. Before NS. Okay. I was about seventeen. So that's before before old. you woke up, lah. 
Yeah, eight, yeah. When I was 18 years old, I changed. I went for this particular course, which gave me a new perspective of, law, of life. Mm-hmm. That's when I started being a bit more ambitious. Mm. I want something for myself. Right now, I'm a loser. And I was fighting so hard to tell people I'm not a loser that I just became one. Mm. It's easier, right? Mm. To Why always fight against the current? Go with the flow. Lah. Much more easier. But eventually... After the course, that's when I started, you know, okay, this is the chance for me to change over a new leaf. Mm. So, because, and ev- the, it was like, <clears throat> whenever the whole group there, everyone was willing to give, uh, look at you as though as you are a new, new, new person. So, a total new leaf chance was given to me. So, everybody was willing to accept me as, uh, as a, I'm going to be a change. So, nobody was, doubting you anymore. Mm-hmm. So I just made full use of the chance. I told myself, okay, now this chance is given, you better not mess up. Mm-hmm. So I started, you know, changing myself. I had, took about six months after that to leave everything. Mm-hmm. But eventually managed to leave everything, got into a fight with my own friends and then they kicked me out eventually. So I didn't have, mm-hmm. have a choice to go back. So, and my parents were very helpful. They actually shifted home. They sold their flat. That's when they bought the condo. Mm-hmm. They sold their flat to, for me, to come out of that environment. It was a complete different, clean break. Okay. So I don't see them anymore. We moved from Marsling, we moved to Hillview. So, so it was like a neighborhood thingy, neighborhood gang yes. thingy. So then I don't have to go back there. I And then I went into army. So life really took turn for itself. I came back, started working. and started saving money. And uh, I got married very young. Uh, I got married when I was about 24. Yeah. So life started moving very fast already. When I was 25, I think, I, I my daughter was 26. 25, I got married. 24, I got RM. 26, I was already a father. And life started moving very fast after that. Yeah. Responsibilities and so mm-hmm. forth, so forth. Mm-hmm. But it's during this teenage time is the time that, you know, is the, is the part I just felt that better guidance was there. I would have been able to do things. But not the kind of, con- your old-fashioned guidance where don't do this, don't do that. Rather, someone who can really bring me out. When I say, like, you know, I want to be a policeman. Okay, come. I bring you and really tell what other stuff a policeman does. So for me to know whether is this the kind of career that I want to look out for. Because then back to Dream Big. When I'm doing uh, this program for kids and I tell them that, you know, I've, I've seen many kids, for example, who want to become a nurse. But just they're scared of blood. Mm. They don't even know that, no. So they only know about it when they get hands up. It's a bit too late sometimes. So what we do here, we try to link them up with the professional of in that line and actually get a real story, the insights of it. Are you prepared for this? Then you know exactly what is it. Whenever uh, teenagers, I remember we had two kids who were like, you know, I, if I'm going to buy a car, I'm only going to buy Audi. Okay. I was like, wow, well, okay. Only Audi, nothing else. No. I mean, Maybe a uh, Japanese car first and then, no, no, Audi. Audi or no deal? I said, okay, cool. So what we did, we actually brought them to a Audi showroom. We brought them to Audi showroom. We see which car you like. We say, I like this car. Okay, fine, let's go for a test drive. We went for a test drive. They sat behind, they were enjoying themselves, the teenagers. We came back and we sat down. The salesman, she wrote for us all the whole entire loan package. And I told them, I said, this is how much you must earn in order to own this car. So whatever career you want to choose, make sure you can afford this. Came back. That's it. Lesson taught for the day. Nothing else. 
I didn't tell them, you cannot, you can, because you can, cannot, is in your hands. So all I did was, my job is just to facilitate it for you. Just show you this is how much you need. So how, how can uh, teenagers reach out to you if they are interested in you know, learning more about this? We, this uh, I'm quite active in Facebook. Right. So they can come uh, look for Mr. Dream Big mm. Facebook page right. or they can look for Dream Big itself, okay. the Facebook page. Or you can just look for me, Steve Saravanan, mm. and uh, it will come in. Right. Super imposed a handle. Oh, okay. You're on Instagram, you're on Facebook. Yes. I'm not very active in Instagram, actually. More on Facebook. You should not. You know why? Because so uh, according teenagers. to statistics, right? According to statistics, um, younger people are in Instagram mm. rather than in Facebook. Facebook are people from like the late 20s to above. But if you want to really, really go for teenagers, the, the current platform is TikTok. Mm. You okay. should actually go into that and uh, that's where all the teenagers are because they're doing the dancing moves, mm. they're doing the thing. And uh, if you're in there, you will really reach your target audience. Yeah, I did some funny videos at TikTok. Right, right. right. <laughs> Steve, so what's yeah. your aspiration for Dream Big eventually? Like what's the ultimate? See, I want to be... Um, I learned this when I went for a grassroots-related course to Hong Kong, mm. LCP. Um, and the program mean, taught me something about social enterprise. So I want Dream Big to be a company that changes life um, in more than just one way. Mm. And we want to be creating leaders. So many people, we, have, we are still in the stage where we are exploring what is the best way to go. Because you see, many people feel that motivation is for those who are already in bad ways. They feel motivation is like medicine. Mm. Once something is wrong, you take but I tell them, motivation is like vitamins. You take them to make sure nothing goes wrong. They, we have not come to that concept yet. Mm. I've seen many people who come and tell me that, you know, uh, I don't want my, seat, my child to come there because, okay, I'm also a volunteer probation officer with MSF. So I have got some of the kids in the programs who are undertaking. Mm. So, and I tell everybody who's there, you should look at everybody the same. You know, don't judge them. It's not your call, right? But the parents sometimes do that. So they feel that, oh, my kids all cannot join any uh, programs by Dream Bay. So eventually our plan is parents to... Parents don't allow their kids to join your program in Dream yes. Bay. Because? Because their kids not that naughty yet. Oh, Okay. So they feel that some of them are you know, undertaking oh, some of okay, them. Okay, I don't have. Okay. So they, they feel like, no, no, we want to go for, they rather send their kids for like arts and music. So they feel there's like bad company. La. Yes. Okay. So this is, this is one thing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident will always, you know, happen. It's like the people we don't understand, if the child doesn't understand, they may get into bad ways. Yeah. Totally understand. But what I really would like to see is one day we have, we have grown that big where any point of time, anyone, like now, if if someone feels, okay, to, to, to summarize the whole version, what I would like eventually is, if someone has suicidal thoughts, yeah. where will they call? There's a hotline for yeah. that, right? If someone has a dream, the SOS hotline, yeah. where will okay. they call? Okay. The SOS for dream. Mm, which is dream you, Bing. Mr. Dream Bing. Okay. So we have, we also have 
so eventually we want to grow to that level where any time they can just call there and they say you know what I have this dream can you help me dream on mm. there was a point of time I was featured in uh, Pasandam mm. and then uh, a lot of parents reached out um, I spoke to many of them in fact I actually went house to house I went and paid them a visit in their house and spoke to their child Mm. There was cases where the child doesn't even want to talk. I'll just share uh, two stories if we have the time. Uh, yeah, come. <clears throat> One is this girl who is, uh, she was a very, very sweet looking girl. She's 16 years old and she's very pretty and she's in a bad company. Okay. And you know why I emphasize pretty? Because a very pretty girl in a gang with all guys running away from home and all that, results to many things that we really don't want to see. You see? So I was trying to talk to her. And that's when the parents were like, you know, yeah, this happened, this happened. So much things was going on. So eventually I just told them, I said, okay, now in order for me to come into this picture, first, I must be able to listen. So I just listened to the whole entire thing the parents were saying. Then I listened to the whole entire thing the child was saying. And I told them, let me just be the mediator. Okay. I still follow, stick by my rules. I'm not going to tell you what you did right or what, or what you did wrong. I'm just going to tell you what is happening as it is. The child feels that you are very, you know, um, you are actually not giving her any space at all. Mm. And your parents feel that you have, you, you have broken their trust. So how can we sit together now and do anything about it? Yeah, but what you do, okay. I'm not asking you why it's happened. I'm telling you, this is the current situation, so what can be done? So we spoke together, three of us, we had a meeting, we spoke to her and we came up with a solution. So she wanted to go to a private school and the parents said, no, you cannot, you must home study and all that. So she said, okay, private school. Then we said, why don't you three go to the private school for the review? Just take a look, what's happening, orientation program, take part, come back, don't have to sign up anything. Likewise, they wanted her to go to, uh, I think, a private thing. So, Enquire on that as well. Then we have this meeting again. Why are you talking so much about it even before you all know? But when they went for the school, eventually they found it's okay, not too bad. Actually sign up for that. So I had a carrot. So I told you, see, you spoke to me now and we actually got it. So we got it going. It was going on very well. But she had a relapse. But three months later, she ran away. So at that point of time, my number was the only number that was not blocked from her phone. Her parents and everyone's numbers was was blocked. But after, sometimes we, we need to use different methods, right? So I need her to come back because I was very worried for her safety. But I actually uh, can't force her. So what I did was I got someone else to force her. And this guy is a well-known gangster with full tattoos and all that. He's like, you know, one or two years elder than me. You know, the kind of timer guys, you know. He went and said, you know, whoever your gang fellas, who, who are they? He actually threatened them. Mm. They got scared. They said, you better go back. Mm. You know, who, who all, uh, big hitmen all coming after for you. You better go back. So we did something different to what, what normal people will do. Mm. So that's the thing. We can't approach it in straight, super uh, WSQ style. <laughs> you know, so this is the... SOP were to follow that. And in a way, you can fully empathize with these kids, right? What they're going exactly. through. Because you and went through it yourself. It's very difficult to come out. It mm. really is very difficult to come out because, you see, for a teenager, mainly it's their friends. Mm. At this point of time, if you want me to let go of everyone, I got no more friends, you know. It's very difficult. Mm. So you need a very compressing 
motivation. I had it because I went for the course and suddenly there was a new group of friends. So I just let go of these people and go there. Yeah, they're all more like, you know, uh, older than me, you know, but still not too bad. At least I had a group. Keep myself occupied. Yeah. If I don't have that, then if I'm every day at home, I'll be tempted to again contact them. Same thing would have happened. And the second case was this boy who, when I was approaching the house, I could hear him. Oh, who is he? Big thing, is it? <laughs> I'm going to tell him off in the face. Huh? Mm. You'll never ask me for permission before he came. And these are two families that you don't know before. Don't know. Strangers. Yeah, they saw. They just reach out to you. Yes. Okay. Because once you go into Facebook yeah. and you put Dream Big, yeah. in the first page, my name will come out. Mm. So you can just send a private message. Mm. In fact, you can just Google and just put Dream Big. So once they put it there and then they uh, send out this message to me, so I went and spoke to them. So then this boy, after he said that message, then I said, okay, I went over and spoke to him. I went to the house. I already know he's super angry. He's like, you know, super son. So I told him, I said, you know what? Actually, uh, I heard you la, from outside. You were saying they're not happy and all that. It's okay. I'm already here. So let's not waste time, right? Uh, let's talk about half an hour. After this half an hour, you find that you don't want to talk to me, then don't talk. Mm. Then he was like, no, I say, can, so yes or no? Because I don't want to waste talking to you half an hour if you're not really willing to listen. I told him, I didn't drive my Jaguar car all the way here mm -hmm. for nothing. Mm. It's free. I'm doing it out of goodwill. So it's not about the money. So don't give me that I'm paying you kind of attitude. Right? So it's either you listen or you don't listen. How old is he? He's about 16. But the issue he had was he whacked the father. Oh, okay. So the father wants to make a police report on him because it's the second time. The father was on cast. So I had to use another kind of approach. Sometimes when they are very hostile, I can't go too soft. Then they will tend to like, you know, they have already gone to the mode that if I'm fierce, people will be scared of me. Yeah. So we have to go in the mode that, you know what, I actually don't care them. Okay, I'm just here for this. You want or you don't want? Don't want me to want. Then I was like, okay, la, fine. Say, unless you feel you're very scared, you know, then okay, I can. So that trigger points, you see, I, I don't care whether you, so I, that means I'm not going to force you after that. And you're too scared to listen to me. So trigger points. So they say, okay, fine. Listen. I just told him about my story. I told him, this is what happened to me. So you want to go ahead now. Your father was going to make a police report. You want to go here by all means. And I told him, I said, from what I understand, you're not even in a gang. Mm. You are just rebellious. Yeah. You got no protection when you go in. So at least I have some protection. I had some protection. You don't even have that. So good luck to you. Mm. So no, I, I, I'm okay. I can talk to you. But it's just that I thought you're going to be like another counselor who's going to come and tell me what you're doing is wrong. And I said, Actually, to be very, very frank, I don't see whether what you did right or wrong is up to you. It's your call. My job here is just to understand how we can come out of the situation. Then we realize, you see, it's like sometimes when some animals and they get very violent and very fierce, we don't know why, but eventually you will see they know their, their leg is injured or something. Like that. There's something else there. There's no connection to what they're doing, but that is the actual issue they have, you see. There's a wound that's not visible to yes. you. Yes. And it's actually hurting them. Only the actions yeah. are, are visible to us. Like that, you know what's the actual problem with the boy? He was in a school, sec three, and the school doesn't allow him to wear long pants. He's still wearing short pants. Why doesn't the school allow him to wear Because they felt that 
he's supposed to he has got he has got i, I think uh, easily about 20 30 days of retention to be completed oh, okay his detention has not gone he's supposed to come he didn't go he always gives excuse so that the school felt that the only way i can punish you is you still will go sec 3 oh. but you wear shorts mm-hmm. even I mean, when all your shorts. classmates and all your peers are wearing yes okay. so it's a huge, and they're fully communicated with the parents, and the parents are okay about it. Okay. So you just feel there's nobody here to support me for this, and this is so unfair to me. Mm. It's so embarrassing. Everybody feels that you know uh, I, I'm repeating my sect too. Nobody. <laughs> now, nowadays, all one standard. But anyway, imagine you walk into a classroom, everybody's wearing long pants. The yeah. guys, you're the only one wearing. So it's very. I I'm astounded. I feel how can the school even do this? Yeah. And I mean, do, don't they know that, you know, with teenagers having, um, you know, their face, you know, reputation, I spoke to the school and the school told me that, you know, um, they are doing this with the parents' consent. And okay. this is the only way we can try because he doesn't listen. I say, yeah, but his detention was actually, he didn't do such a big thing. Okay, la, discipline issues, yes. He comes to class late, you know, never handing homeworks, that kind of issues. Not fighting and all that. It really started after this thing. But the solution has aggravated the whole situation. Yes. But after a long time, I I was working at the bar only for three months. The parents, until the end, they didn't want to give in at all. They were like, no, 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 don't write into the school. No, no, don't do that, don't do that. He has to learn, he has to do that. I I see, but it's not working. It's okay for us to try anything. But if it doesn't work, we should, change mm. back, eh? retract yeah. our, our steps and you know, do something about it. They didn't. And since I was insisting for them on that, you know what they did? They told me, it's okay, Mr. Steve, thank you very much for your help. You don't have to come back anymore. Mm. I told them, fine, I can't force and do that. But I told the boy, anytime you can call me. You know when they called me? for uh, I think about a month later after they stopped, saying that, you know, the son again has beat the, fa- the father. The father wants to call the police and he's now inside the room and the son is going hysterical, banging the son all that. Then he, I called him and he picked up. I only told him one thing. I said, listen, whatever it is, stop what you're doing. Stop it, just go and sleep. Right now, I know you're very angry, but don't put yourself into a situation where you are arrested. So all you have to do is just go, just, just let this moment pass. It's not about you, right, they, right, who, whatever it is. But it's just a matter of you go in or not. So just drop everything, just go and sleep. And I called the parents again and said, he's just going to go and sleep now. Let him two, three hours later, then you guys sit down and have a chat. That's the best you can do. Then I asked them, have they changed the school concept? No, still haven't. Mm-hmm. I told them, until you're going to address that issue, your son is going to feel that you are his biggest enemy. Mm. And that is the biggest issue right now you all have, not the anything else. About six months later, we contacted and they said that yes, the school managed to, uh, he, they made him do at least half of the detention. And because he was also refusing to do. If you have every day, just two hours, two hours you do, it means within the first, by February, he could have been wearing long pants really. But he also no. So eventually, they allowed after half, and he continued and did the detention of the past. You see, but this is the, the issue that we are having here. 
they don't they don't really understand what exactly they are going through and we always jump we always claim you know we are all that kids sometimes they rebel at us not because they are actually not afraid of us actually they are very afraid mm. they are very very afraid it's just that they don't know how to react exploring you know like us when we first became uh, a father we tried all kind of style to make the child sleep we don't know right or wrong not that we are expert we are still learning like that the teenagers are learning to be teenagers they're learning to be young adults trying out new things on their own being responsible for their actions they make some mistakes we have to like try some some things this way i i've tried talking to kids at home i've tried bringing them out to starbucks to 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 talk change of environment and you know i've actually just uh when i find i'm losing touch with the kid i'm mentoring i've even brought them to uh, clucky not into the clubs but we walk around there mm. let's take a walk it's interesting to see then we we can sit down there and people watch talk about them you see what's all so some kind of rapport then we know okay this is the kind of lingo that he likes okay then from there we built on it but most parents don't of and course I, i i mean i i don't see many parents who bring their kids to clark hill people watch and you know build rapport i mean there. i brought my daughter to uh clarky the clinic because those days uh the clinic had chairs outside yeah. and you don't have to go inside so my daughter was uh her birthday that we did at landmark landmark hotel i think she That's was right. 9 years old or something mm. so that if we actually brought her there right. we sat outside i and she was very because it had it had the wheelchair and they had the drips there and yeah, all that yeah, yeah. so she was drinking her orange drink the waitresses came in nurse uniforms yeah. and all, yeah so she was super excited about it and super fun then we have ch- so it's interesting some a different concept i can uh confidently say that um not that my daughter will not go clubbing soon enough she's 16 this year so now she's going to go clubbing but at least i'll know about it yeah because we built that kind of repo and that is the kind of repo we actually want them to build not by telling them but actually so whenever 18 i always feel that we should teach our kids how to handle the 18 years old fever well mm. responsibly how do you go in without being judgmental towards some of their actions like you know this boy did really wreck his dad up and you go in and you still you know i mean i i don't know for me i've seen a lot more worse cases mm. so i find that so far i've never i've never come across any teenager who was uh okay 90% of the teenagers i meet have are not as bad as me <coughs> already yeah i only have met about 10 of them who mostly under the tagging system okay, okay. they have done worse than me but not as bad as what my friends used to do when mm-hmm. i was a teenager because those days the people in gangs and all that they do even more worse <coughs> to get into a lot of issues so, so you have seen it all basically uh, a a portion mm-hmm. and i have not seen anything that is surprising now so i feel like okay lah you know what's there to judge because everybody has their own story of course yeah. so it's like i i've because of that i've never got uh, judgmental with them Judgment also I also mean whereby you know you go in and if it's me right I can imagine myself going in and being a really being angry with the boy. Mm. That you know hey how can you do this to your parents and that would probably have turned the boy off already. Yes. For me to go in and say that hey you know like what you said right hey what you did was wrong. How could you have beaten your dad up? 
you know. So that's also, I mean, yeah. that's that's I really admire that. You know, I think this is um, like grassroots. The very first thing you have to do is to build trust. Mm. It doesn't matter whether it's friendship, anybody in trouble, somebody not listening to you. It's all about trust before you can actually that 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 barrier you have to break it first mm. and through trust and like you mentioned, you have many ways to do it. Once you you do that, I think, um, and you have an open mind, like you know how you approach that situation. I think that would help. Usually, what I do first, I let them talk. Once they have already explained, then I'll tell them my story. Or if they are very hostile, I will tell my story first. So when I'm telling my story, there will be a portion about uh, cancerism, there will be a portion about drugs, there will be a portion about school, there will be a portion about parents, portion about friends and all that. So when all these things is happening, you will see from their facial expression what is relating to them. And, you know, I'll also talk about confidence, being bullied in school and mm. all that kind of stuff. When that happens, they'll just they will just react to the bullying part. Then you know, they are not they are not in any gangs or smoking or drugs or nothing. They're just being bullied in school. So just, this is their way. So then I just touch on that more. So I straight away go to that topic. And then while they're explaining, the moment I can go to that pinpoint and tell them, it, so is this where the problem is? Mm. And they know that I understand really, okay, the rapport is built already. Mm. So they're like, okay, finally someone is willing to understand what I'm saying. So you run a business, you do Mr. Dream Big, you are a grassroots leader and you have a young family. How do you manage your time? I mean, or how do um, you prioritize what comes, what's more important to you or what, what comes along? You see, it's like um, eight to five, I mean, office hours, I'm at office mm-hmm. doing my company stuff and all that. We are running a operations Security operation, so sometimes even back home and the phone and all that. But apart from that, grassroots like takes up quite a bit of the evenings and weekends. But one thing for grassroots, my daughter and my wife kind of grew along with me in grassroots. Yep. So they are also grassroots leaders without the title, you know. So they are leaders without title. <laughs> so because of that, they are not so... Um, they don't find it like, you know, I'm spending too much of time there. And usually they come along for the events as well. But beyond that, I make it a point to at least once a week, we go out, we go somewhere dinner. So we plan a lot for that once a week and all that. And then uh, we'll go somewhere nice to eat and we surprise each other. So, okay, today you plan. So this Wednesday. So uh, always on Wednesdays, we go out. So one time my wife will plan, okay, we go to this particular place and we go for lunch or dinner there and then my daughter will plan the next week then I'll plan the next week so we keep the thing going kind of thing apart from that the rest of the time I always believe that um, for a happy family you just have to forgive and forget some things mm, give and take yeah. I always tell myself uh, this if you don't have a uh, it's okay to not do anything if you don't have a play. That means, you know, we always want to do things right, right? <clears throat> so when something is going wrong, we want to so go in and make it right. Yeah. But sometimes we've got no moves. Mm. We're totally lost. Mm. I don't know how to react to the situation. Mm. So I'll just tell them, don't, don't do anything. Mm. Let, let time heal. Mm. <laughs> Rather than you force yourself to go in and try to find a solution, make it worse, let time heal. 
the rest of it will go by itself. There will be a lot of differences. Like recently, because of the COVID, who I'm, many people whom I'm meeting are like quite stressed up about it. Um, job security is one big area. Financial issues, um, and in so the the very fact that you know, can I can I even trust someone whom I'm going to meet next? You know, kind of stuff. When 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 we are in a situation, you know, all these years grassroots have been working so hard to connect the people, and now we're working very hard to disconnect the people. To distance, yes. social distance. As it is, social we have distancing. a huge problem of that. People are mainly in their handphones. Remember, we always used to say, go for dinner, everybody in their handphones only. But now it becomes like, you know, that is the best thing to do. So it's a, it's a, it's a huge depressing time. And I see some people will just tend to sink into that too much. Mm. What's going to happen to me next month? And I'll just tell them, what's going to happen to you next month? We will talk about it next month. Because mm. we don't know what we never anticipated things to become so worse. When this happened in January, I also remember uh, just after Chingi, just before the local Chingi on that eve when they decided to cancel Chingi, I was like, "Wow, okay, that's quite bad." February seven, uh, eight, something like that, and then events started cancelling. So I really felt that it's going to okay Maybe by March, April, everything will be okay. But now things seem, seem to be becoming worse and worse and worse. It is as scary as that. But there's no point getting depressed and upset about it. Just that the only person who can keep ourselves positive is ourselves. Mm. Everything else we can hear, we can do. So let's just try to keep on doing that. Keep. If someone is very negative in the situation, I would just say distance yourself from them. There's no, there's no choice. You just have to keep yourself. Because everybody is scared. I don't think there's anyone who's not afraid right right now everybody is afraid you're afraid for many reasons your safety your children's safety your family's safety your job security finally a lot we are people are saying it's going to go until end of this year some people are saying it's going to be until next year so we really don't know how much of support can the government also give do I have enough savings to cover me for all this while do I have what if I fall sick or someone falls sick those people doing jobs overseas so I can't go at all. So there's a lot of questions. So just stay put, stay together. I think we uh, lesson here is um, if the whole nation can try to take it on a positive stride. You know, we all know that this thing is going to be over. We all take our necessary precautions. We all uh, stick to what the MOH guidelines are. I think we should be okay. Yeah, because most of the cases now are actually imported and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But there are still some clusters here and there, but it, it might take a bit of time. But like what you said, uh, there's no point talking, thinking about it. Then, uh, I can just time. say that, you know, I'm very happy that you know, I'm in Singapore mm. at this point of time. Yeah. Because I just spent two weeks last December in Italy. And the way, you know, not just them, many countries are handling, thank God that, we still have a good, strong support system. <laughs> you know yeah. what I saw in CNN just day before yesterday? The nurses in the New York hospital, they've, they have not enough gowns, mm. you know, the protective mm. gowns. They are using trash bags in New York. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> One of the most popular and cosmopolitan city. <laughs> You're wearing trash bags, you know, to, pro to, to, to protect and serve the... The, the patients there. Yeah. 
Yeah, they are overwhelmed already. The governor also knows about it. Yeah, so I think we should be grateful that uh, we have uh, very good support from the government. Yep. Yeah, Steve. So, okay, so last thing, right? Can you share with us um, one thing that you feel um, just generally in life is like your best motivation advice? Like, how do you? You know, you are doing so many things. How do you keep yourself motivated that you feel that you can share with us so we can be a bit more like you as well? Well, I, I would say that um, you first, have a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Once the purpose is very, very strong, it will guide you along. And whatever happens, what I always tell myself is don't ever give up. Because one thing for me, I've given up a lot in my life before. Given up in the sense of, you know, started something halfway, let go of it. Started something else halfway, let go of it. You know, along the way, I, I've done so, I wasted a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And right now, make it a point that I don't give up on anything. How challenging it gets, whatever it is, complete it, com- close the loop, complete, and then you move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And just keep going. That's okay. it. But you mentioned for those people who have a purpose in life. Um, my question is, what about those people who don't have a purpose in life? They're yeah. not sure what to do. Who feel what? that my life is like that lah? <laughs> yeah. You know, what what what's what, there in life? You know? What what kind of advice do you think you can uh, you see, advise I, them? Only one person can create that purpose in your life. That's yourself. Right. Mm. And I've come across so many people who are so determined not to have a purpose in life, mm. because they can find every uh, a problem for every solution, not the other way around. So these are the people who really should ask themselves: How do you want to live their life? If you really want to get something going, you, you need to have a purpose. But if you don't even want to have a purpose, if you don't have a purpose, very fine. Sit back, draw it up your whole life. What have you done so far? What do you think you can do, you're doing now? And what do you think you can do in future? And then drive up with a purpose. Okay, this is what I want. Purpose meaning not, you know, I want to get $100,000 in my savings. I want to buy a house, a car. That's not the purpose. Purpose is, you know, what kind of person I want to be when... I'm no longer around. Mm, the legacy that you yes. not is And legacy is not about the wealth. It's about the person, the character. Mm. And, and what is it that you want to do that? And when that happens, you find a purpose in life. But if they don't want to do that, they have to do a lot of soul searching. Because nobody can convince them enough to have a purpose. Sure. All right. All right. I think that was a very inspiring... I mean, I have known Steve for like nearly 10 years. And today I learned a lot more about him. Uh, and even what Mr. Dream Big is doing. Right. I had no idea he's like literally being like the capo who goes to people's <laughs> house to to talk to the kid who has just whacked his father up and talk to the father who just got whacked by the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One I think that's a new story for me also. <laughs> but I, I knew that he was doing these sort of yeah. things uh through our I mean, you know, our once in a while when we meet up and all that. Steve, so people can contact you. Uh. Yes, yes, yes. All this, all this, like, I mean, people who are watching this and all, they can contact you and, yep. and yep. can share with you what they are, what obstacles they are facing in their dreams, pursuit of their dreams and all. I have many people who do that. Mm. We meet up regularly for coffee and then, of course, along the way, uh, usually when I meet them and after they have told me what they want to do, when they ask me for my opinion, I give them my, my opinion. So, so some people have changed. Remember we met once Yes, we, we met at Safra. Yes. I remember that very clearly. <laughs> and he was going through with me. Yeah, I'm actually I'm quite sure that you you 
you are actually you want to do this you sound very clear that you want to do this that is something that I still remember very very clearly even the table that we sat at I still remember yes. yeah. I, I still remember at the end of the talk you said that actually I came with this mind uh, with this idea but you just actually triggered something else mm. but it it was still your idea it's just yep. that I just asked you why Okay, but why this but why why not that mm. but are you really sure this is the one and stuff like that and it actually triggered a new entire thing it was so this facilitation process ah, yes. the, thought, the thought process and all that's yeah. the only thing that I do mm. I don't give people idea of how to run whatever they want to run you know how to achieve their dreams but I just ask them is it, is it really is this what you want to do and of course then if I those whom I know we just link them up Mm. I, I use the word dream matchmaking. Mm. We try to matchmake dreams because we always can work together as a team and you know achieve it better, you see. I hope parents listening to this, um, you know, if you want to get in touch with Steve for your teenage boy or girl, you know, or even teenagers listening out there, you feel interested, you want to learn more, feel free to call him and yeah, yep. message him in Facebook. Yes. Steve, free, 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 free of charge, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, it's, why not? Yeah, but my son a bit too young. <laughs> yes, but uh, he's really a, also an untapped grassroots leader, lah. Because I bring him everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <he goes>. exactly. <laughs> okay, right. if not, this is um. Our we thank, first, we thank we thank Steve a lot for joining us today and making his time, making time here all the way here, and you know it's episode one. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed yourself this morning as well. I'm truly honoured to be here. Thank you yeah. for having me. And this is episode one. So we have heard yeah. Steve talk about his business, his life, his family, his values, his philosophy. And if you like what we have put up for you today, we have a lot more interesting interviewees and guests who are coming up on our show to basically share all these things with you. Yeah. And uh, our guests are from a wide spectrum of industries. We're going to have different sort of people coming in and sharing with us. Our job is just to share with you uh, whatever advice they have and all that. So mm. we look forward. Uh, do subscribe to our channel if you uh, you know, interested. And then do like us in whatever platform we put out there. And do also share our content on your social media as well. Especially if you have found it very useful. Let someone else know. Because whatever Steve shared today is so inspiring, right? So let someone else who you feel that would find this useful, let them know. They are going through a tough time. You're, you know some, maybe your nephew, your niece is going through a rebellious period. Yeah. Send them this and let them hear what Steve has got to say. Yeah. And you can look forward to a lot more interesting content from us in this channel. Like sure. what Omar said, please subscribe. Please share our content. Please comment. Please like. Please turn on the notifications. And we will come back with another episode of this podcast very, very soon. See you guys. Thank you. Thank you.